I didn't think it would end this way. End? No, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one that we must take. The gray rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass. And then you see it. What? Gandalf, see what? White shores and beyond, a far green country under a swift sunshine, sunrise. Well, that isn't so bad. No. No, it isn't. Good evening and a welcome to Alosa Pumar Takes. This is our 275th take live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Azel, Texas. I'm your host, Barry Duplissy, as always, and I'm so proud, so pleased, and so privileged to be with you all tonight. This is going to be a fantastic show, an epic showdown, the end of a trilogy, the end of an era, but it's all done in amazing fashion with some amazing nerds in the house. Yes, we are bringing it to you live tonight with some amazing cigars, good cocktails, uh, good spirits, both in liquid form and in spiritual form. Yes, good spirits. Yes, we are doing it. I'm so proud, so pleased, and to, uh, so excited to be with you guys tonight. It's going to be fantastic. Yes, we are celebrating. Tonight's the night. We're going to talk about why December 17th, 2023 is significant for what we are celebrating tonight. But we are celebrating the 20th anniversary of Lord of the Rings Return of the King. And it's my pleasure to introduce tonight's guest. But before we get to amazing introductions of our guests of honor, we do have to thank the people that make this show possible. And that, of course, is our sponsors. Tonight's show is sponsored by Drew Estate. Drew Estate has announced it today that the 2023 release of the limited edition Liga Pravada Unico Siri Pancetta is a cigar exclusively to the two Liga Pravada lounges, the Wooden India Tobacco Shop of Havertown, Pennsylvania, and Barrister Cigars of Union, New Jersey. The Pancetta will be available beginning just this past week on December 13th. Liga Pravada Unica Siri Pancetta is a union of two, two renowned Liga Pravada blends, Liga Pravada T52, and the Liga Pravada Unico Feral Flying Pig, featuring a Connecticut stock cut wrapper cured Habano Kappa. The cigar starts with a spicy blast and a hearty aroma, leading to the enthusiast on the complex journey through Liga Landia. That's a Drew State word. A bold Brazilian Matafina binder, powerful filler leaves from Nicaragua, Honduras were selected to add raw but might to this powerful blend. The binder and filler leaves are the very same that go into the Liga Pravada Unico Feral Flying Pig. These majestic tobaccos are skillfully rolled into a four and three quarter by 52 Bellicoso, identified by a 2023 uh, release foot band to make it an unforgettable smoking experience. So check out those two Diplomat, uh, True Diplomat retailers in Havertown, Pennsylvania and Union, New Jersey. If you want to snag one of the Liga Pravada Unica Panchettas, uh, I know it is a tasty, fantastic blend. Some exciting tobaccos that went into it, and so you definitely should scope those guys out if you're wanting to get them. But act fast, because I have a feeling they won't last long. And welcome, everybody. This is our 275th take. And I'm so proud and pleased to introduce these fine gentlemen returning once again to talk about one of the best films of the 21st century. I think that's a fair assessment here. So without further ado, it's my pleasure to introduce Mr. Sam Spencer, Matt Ty, and Trip Waldrop. Gentlemen, how are we doing tonight? Happy to be back, Bear. It's always a pleasure to nerd out and talk movies. Indeed, man. Yeah, I've been Indeed. looking forward to this for a couple months. I'm excited. Yes. Let's get the ring back in its proper place. And and uh, by the time we're done, the the uh, ending of the movie from the original screening 20 years ago may finally be finished. 
<laughs> That's true. Yeah. Well, what's really exciting about this too, what's really exciting about this is Trip Trip identified something that's actually related. He's like, I've been looking forward to this for a couple of months. We had to wait an entire year for this shit to come out. When, you know, after two towers dropped, mm-hmm. we had to wait for an entire year to come out, man. It, I mean, man, talk about the patience that we had 20 years ago that we just don't have today. Oh, yeah. Yeah, by far. We yeah. didn't have social media to distract us and all that nonsense. Well, that we had to wait. What this book came out in the fifties? Yeah, we had to wait fifty yeah. years for them to put for a decent version of it. Decent version, of it. right? 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 <laughs> yeah, the, the the cartoon. The what were the was the cartoons made in the eighties? We've talked about this before. It was it was pretty early. It, it was, was early eighties, I believe, like yeah. 80, 81. Yeah, it was like really raw animation and stuff. Yeah, like really, really fan, really fantastic quality stuff. Um, Sam wasn't even a twinkle in anyone's eye. I wasn't born in 81, actually. So that, that tells you something because I'm fucking old. So how about that? <laughs> Matt was lying was, about his age. going to make Matt, an old Matt, dig at Matt, but Matt, Matt Ty was, was lying about his age as always. So it's <laughs> always right with the world. I was very much alive when those cartoons came out. Um, and I do remember seeing them along with, uh, you know, also seeing like the if you, if anybody's ever seen the, those awesome old cartoon versions of like uh, Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe. Oh, I yeah. mean, that was those cartoons were the shit back in the day. I loved oh, those cartoons. Fuck yeah, they were great, man. They were absolutely great. I loved it. I dig the stuff, man. I I um, I I really I think just I think between the two, you know, I was growing up. I I read. I've said this before on, on previous pods, but like I was more the C.S. Lewis guy rather than Tolkien guy. My my sister read every my sister read every fucking book in the world, but she was the best. She read she read both and but she was more the Tolkien fan into us. But she got me into this. And that's as I mentioned on previous pods too, this this show is actually dedicated in her honor because without her, I never would have done this podcast, never would have seen the movies because we made it an annual tradition. She took me to Lord of the Rings the first year and then I, you know, again like I have to wait a year till we find out what next what happens next. And the next Christmas, we went to the two I towers. I mean, or you could read the book from 50 years ago. But... No, well, because yeah. that, that would have been too easy, Trip. Why would I do that? <laughs> I, I, I do agree. I didn't do it. I was, I was, yeah, I didn't do it. I was just a vagabond in high school. I didn't read. Come on. Um, she yeah, got me exactly. into reading, too. She actually got me into reading, too, which is actually why I read today for enjoyment is because of her. So that, that's why the show is dedicated to Reagan. Uh, Reagan Duplessis, she's a fantastic sister, and uh, I wouldn't be here without her in a lot of ways. So, yeah. Uh, so thanks to her and everything. So we were talking about this, though, not to just skip ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to skip off you, Reagan. Apologize. But we were talking to you and I talked about this before in the green room before the show started and everything. I've said that I've had this show on basically or this movie on loop for like the whole week. That's kind of how I've always prepped for these things. And you were talking about like how nobody, <laughs> nobody does that anymore. Yeah, it's, it's really just not a thing anymore. Like I watch a movie and then I'm done watching. And. I might watch it again months, years later, but I don't like, I miss the feeling of having a movie that's just on and like you turn on the TV and you're in the middle of Lord of the Rings and you're just like, I'll watch this for 20 minutes before I have to go do something. Yeah. You're like, oh shit. These days, even watching a movie at home is a commitment. Well, yeah. Well, it's like, I I applaud you for doing that. Bring it back to the 90s. No kidding. Well, like, if, I mean, like when you turn on TNT or anything like that and you were just like rolling by 
the kitchen or something like that, you see that it's on and you're like, oh shit, the Oliphant's about to come out. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick around and watch this. This is going to be cool. Legolas is about to take down an Oliphant. It's going to be or, great. Or the other feeling that I just thought of that doesn't exist anymore is doing that and spending 45 minutes having no idea what movie you're watching. That's true too. Like you yeah. just, there's a movie on, I mean, unless you have the TV guide out, uh, you're not going to figure out what it was in the, the yeah. you know, 90s, 80s, back so, then. So, Sam, a TV guide was actually not always on your television. You actually, they, they actually came in the newspaper or you actually bought them at the supermarket. Matt, you know what it would feel like. So, were you a newspaper TV guide household? Because I was, because our family was fucking broke. Or did you actually buy the TV guide magazine at the grocery store? Um, we had both, um, but it was, it was later, like when I was, we didn't, we didn't have enough money for the actual TV guide until I was maybe 10 or 11. Um, but my grandparents, my mom's parents had the TV guides and my grandmother, for whatever reason, saved all of them. I wish, <laughs> wish I would have kept those because she had in this little side cabinet in the hallway of their apartment, she had, it was literally stacked three feet tall, like seven or eight stacks, three feet tall of TV guides going back to the 1970s. Wow. Oh, wow. And... I mean, I would honestly, sometimes as a kid, I would just go in there and read through some of those just to see like old shows that weren't on anymore and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I, I used to love reading the TV guide. You're like, the okay, so bunker sounds like a I really cool know. cat. Yes. Yeah, I do, do want to know. Um, <laughs> I did use the TV guide in the newspapers. I'm not that young. Okay. I used to catch movies on all the time okay for the longest time I didn't know the beginning of oceans 11 was yeah was that, just... that's what i mean like there's a movie that you've seen 30 times and you've never seen the first 10 minutes yeah absolutely i had no or, idea i missed the whole beginning of oceans 11 i was like i was very like, confused when i actually watched the movie, or like the, the fact the that first the first time. few times i ever saw die hard was on television so i never knew who, how how much he actually like swears in the whole thing because they just Me everything too. is dubbed out you know so that's oh, always entertaining. I saw that in the theater. You twice. ever find a stranger in the Alps? <laughs> <laughs> that's my favorite one out of all of the like ridiculous dubs. <laughs> uh, well, before, before we uh, before we keep going down this uh, TV guide memory lane here, uh, I do need to smoke a cigar tonight, and I actually have some beverages tonight as well. So, uh, um. So anyway, tonight is a celebratory morning. December third, December seventeenth, two thousand twenty-three is exactly to the day, guys. Twenty years, twenty years celebrating twenty years of Return of the King. It was it was December seventeenth, two thousand and three, when Return of the King came out, guys. So it's twenty years ago. We can all feel old now. Even Sam was alive. Wow. I mean, shit. I mean, damn. <laughs> Matt's gonna Matt's gonna tell you that you know his you know his his firstborn was graduating from high school or something some shit like that's just not true, <laughs> um, in two thousand and three, um, but but yeah man I mean it's I mean it, we've 
we've wanted to we've wanted to we started this series three years ago obviously we wanted to celebrate the 20th anniversary of these of these movies just because it was it's an interesting it's an interesting observation about how well they hold up you know and how like great mm-hmm. they still are because uh, a lot of movies haven't we were talking uh trip was ragging on my my beloved favorite christmas movie polar express don't start matt i don't want to hear it um <laughs> and how the animation I like that has I know. I just don't want you to talk about another Christmas movie. Um, <laughs> uh, ben I have no idea what you're talking about. Thank you, sir. You're a good man. All right. So let's go ahead and get porn and get smoking. Uh, while I'm pulling up some bottles, Matt, why don't you tell us what you're drinking? Because I know you've got some always some great choice cocktails uh, and drinks and what you're smoking tonight. Oh, yeah. Um, so some um, Christmas ale from Breckenridge Brewery. Nice. And some Weller Special Reserve. Nice. And my first cigar is the Charter Oak Habano in the Toro size. And uh, if it's necessary for a second cigar. <laughs> oh, that's funny if it's necessary. It's definitely <laughs> going to be necessary for a second cigar. Uh, so on deck, I have, uh, if needed, uh, a Papasaka. I almost grabbed one of those. And uh, LFD Oro Maduro oh, Tubo. Love the Oro, yeah. man. So un- so underrated. So good. One ring to roll them all, man. Okay. Well, Matt, I've got oh, a man. choice of... I'm drinking coffee, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pour something here, too. So I've got a Russell's Reserve uh, 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 rye, six-year. Uh, I've got a Luna Azul tequila, Anejo. That's and, a very good tequila. It uh, is. And uh, what my brother got me for my birthday um, was a bottle of Talisker single malt tenure, aged by the sea, man. So nice. So what, uh, Matt, what am I drinking tonight? What would you like me to pour first? You know, I, that's what you have. That tequila you have there is one of my favorites to drink neat so i i vote for the uh the añejo sounds good i i think that'll also set up your palate really well for the other one yeah good call nice let's do it so pour some tequila uh trip what are you smoking uh and what are you drinking tonight right now i've got i kind of did the band tuck here davidoff nicaragua robusto nice uh love this car i have a a pile of cigars on deck, including <laughs> the one Matt smoked last year that I still haven't smoked. Oh, I have four of these in my humidor. Yeah. Um, I wanted a cigar that was as long as the final act of this movie. <laughs> We're gonna Just in case that. we go yeah. uh pretty long. Do you have do you have a uh do you have a woody cigar? No, on I hand? don't. So if you, if you I did that would be need one. one. <laughs> uh and then I'm drinking I made a cocktail. I found so uh I can't remember what website it was. I think it was Eater that did a a Lord of the Rings cocktail for their viewing of the TV show that came out last year that started last year. Uh, it's called Miravore. It's named after the uh, the I don't know what to call it. The beverage that the elves drink in Rivendell and in the first movie, uh, they Gandalf gives little tiny sips of it to each of the fellowship to strengthen them um so it's a honey elderflower gin 
lemon cocktail with tonic, uh, which is right up my alley. That's what I'm starting with, and then I have uh, something fun for later, too. Sounds good. I mean, who doesn't spell fun without some elderflower honey? I mean, exactly. with you. I'm with you, man. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Sam, what do you, what do you, uh, besides cold, what are you, what are you smoking on? What are you drinking? You know, I feel like we've done shows where it's been colder out here. But this is, really, it's not that bad. But I am a, I'm smoking in Placencia Alma Fuerte six toe first. Mm-hmm. Getting the day started a little strong. Um, and then, you know, I've got some cigars on deck. I've got a Cohiba Siri Dim that I believe you gave me, Bear. I did. Like a year. That's a great cigar. I've I've never had it. You know, I feel like I don't have the time to smoke uh Churchill's and Gordo's very often. So mm-hmm. we're talking about a four and a half hour movie here. Did I give you the placentia too? Because that's like one of my favorites. Uh, or no. I believe so. I won't take up too much. I believe so. Here. Just just say nice. And I, you know, I'm feeling a little rye tonight. I saw you had a rye, out, but a little angels envy rye. Nice. Will you guys come out to Texas? keep me warm. Sam's got Sam's got an epic bourbon collection going on, man. Unless unless you put a serious dent in it. So I have not. I said I was going to stop buying whiskey. Don't. And I okay. continue to buy whiskey. That yeah, never happened. <laughs> yeah, please do that. So, all right. I said lots of lots of things. It's it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Matt said he was to, he was going to start smo- he was going to stop smoking in the 1970s. So it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, so Sam, would you like to pick my cigar for me? I've got a uh, Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust uh, Sin Compromiso, a blackened uh, M81 uh, from Drew Estate. I've got the Espinosa Habano number four, my first original number one cigar of the year back in 17 uh postania war bear sign me up uh and then i also have a cormagnon aquitaine uh saber tooth from romcraft tobacco oh i almost grabbed one of those for this show so i'm gonna i'm gonna go with this saber tooth saber tooth saber tooth i looked at it my humidor uh I don't know. I I wanted to go with the placentia since he gave it to me to smoke it on. Good stuff, but man. I, I mean, I love this movie. So, yeah. So let's get right into that. Like, let's start with uh, tonight's major point, which is always brought to you by the people. Yes, cigar people, people who know everything about a lifetime service. Protocol cigars is more than just pool parties and good times. Well, maybe it is. But behind the fun is a motivation for service, motivation for giving back from the original Protocol Blue to the latest release in the Lawman series. Phoebe Cousins Protocol has always been about honor, passion, and yes, the people. It is what their life's work has been and always will be about. Power of the P, Protocol Cigars. So, Sam, I wanted to give you some time here, man. This is, this is uh, we started this journey three years ago, you and I and Tripp uh, and Matt have, uh, I think, um, I think Tripp's been on for all three of them. I think Matt had to miss one, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Matt missed the fellowship, unfortunately. But um, but this has been a three-year journey, man. But we've been waiting for a long time because this this, my good friend, is your movie. So I'm gonna let you take the take the floor here. I mean, I don't know if it's my movie. This is the movie made for the world, really. <laughs> but I mean, I this is my favorite of the three films. Spoilers, even with the four endings, five endings. 12 endings, however many it is. 
Um, I absolutely love this movie. The epic conclusion to the story, just tying up all the loose ends, the like full arc of all the members of the fellowship. I mean, I, I love this movie and like epics, epic battle scenes. I don't know if Pelnor Fields has ever been replaced in my memory of like the most epic of battle scenes. So I I just love this movie. I we're going to be on here for hours. So we'll, I'm sure we're going to get into all the different parts that I love, but um yeah, this is this is in the top 5 of my favorite movies. So You know, I've said this before on on the, pre- the previous uh, editions of the show, but like I'm I'm so much a Two Towers guy, and I was like really I was really nervous about the show. Guys, to be honest, like I this is the one, and, and look, they're all great, they're all great films, but this is the one that I'm like the weakest on. Like someone, uh, I was talking to a couple of folks today, and they're like, "Oh, you can probably quote all of them back to front." I'm like, um, "The Fellowship and Two Towers, yeah, this one's the one that I am." the kind of weakest on stuff but um so trip you're you and i are two towers guys like what but what's your what's your what's your yeah, impression of return of the king? i was gonna make a little confession here there we go uh so when return of the king came out this was the first lord of the rings movie that came out while i was out of high school and had a job uh i only saw it in theaters one time i bought the the extended edition on dvd the day it came out and yesterday was the first time I've ever watched the extended edition. Oh shit, man! That's a <laughs> that's a confession. Holy cow! Yeah, uh, um, it was a lot better than I remembered it being. I think it was like because I was like what? I was like nineteen or so when this came out. So I was like, I don't know. I I think I probably felt too cool for Lord of the Rings, and uh, I I don't remember liking it as much as I liked it this time. I don't remember it being as good as it was. So I like, you know, it kind of like pushed it off to the back of my mind. I still like Two Towers more, but yeah. I will well, I will say Two Towers is a faster film. It, it goes yeah. at a faster pace than this. Yes. Well, like you basically have three helms deeps in Return of the King. Like and, and that's yeah. not a knock on it. Like I like I think Helm's Deep is, and I know Sam you're gonna disagree with me on this. I think Helm's Deep is one of the greatest battle scenes if not the best battle scene ever filmed. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this last time, just the, the aesthetic of it, when it was shot, how it was shot, like the, the compartmentalization of the stories that were happening within the battle, um, the way it was paced, like it was just like, just incredibly shot. Um, but that's not to take away from all the fucking epic shit that happens in this movie too. So, but uh, um I think this movie has for me a little bit of like giant battle fatigue where like by the third one, you're kind of like, all right, we've seen a lot of this in this movie. Yeah. And it, I don't know. It, it's not that it like is irritating or anything, but it feels less exciting seeing three within a span of uh, two hours or whatever. So I have a question about, like we're, when we get to the ending thing, like I have a really hot take question on this, but um, just based on like what kind of we've already talked about, like the amount of things that happened in this film. But Matt, what uh, what was your experience with Return of the King? Well, I, I mean, seeing it in the theater when it first released was just it was very gratifying as a as a fan 
of the series as a nerd in general, it was very gratifying to finally see it come to a conclusion. In my opinion, out of all of the three films, the theatrical release versus the extended edition slash director's cut, I think the theatrical edit was really the best one of, of all the, because they, I mean, they had to pare it down to make it a short enough film for a theatrical release. And I thought the way, what they chose to leave in the theatrical release, I thought was very smart. I thought, I thought it was very well decided on, on what they included in the theatrical release. Uh, but I still absolutely love the, uh, the extended cut. And I, in preparation for this, I watched it again, uh, a week ago or 10 days ago. And it, it just does not disappoint. Um, and the, the funny thing is that I love about this series is they had to pick and choose so carefully for all three of these films, because if they, if these would have been true to the literature, each one of these films would have been nine hours long. Yeah. Right. And I thought they were, I thought they were, they made good choices throughout. And this return of the King edit was extremely well done. And three, three hours I, and 21 minutes. I like the way they closed it out. Yeah. Three hour, that was theatrical three hours and 21 minutes extended cut. It's a fucking full hour ahead, four hours and 14 minutes. Yeah. It feels like the, the the theatrical is four hours, and it feels like the extended is five. Yeah, like oh, it's crazy. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's unbelievable. But I, I mean, I love yeah, this. And you know, go ahead. You know, I love the version. I sat down. I watched it today because I procrastinated, didn't have time to watch it until today. <laughs> so I missed Cowboys getting destroyed, which was okay, but. Watched it today, and I realized, man, this extended is a lot to sit down and watch in one sitting. But at it's the a- same time, like, there's not a ton of craft in the movie. Like, it's not, it's no. not one of those like a lot of times extended, extended versions of movies where they add like 15 minutes. It's like scenes that didn't matter, mm-hmm. and stuff that is really boring or doesn't have anything to do with what's happening in the movie. And in this, the extended edition is like seriously everything makes sense to be there right especially at the beginning of the movie yes um, yes being with uh saruman and theoden going back, back and forth like that just mm-hmm. it like it fixes theoden's character arc it fills in the holes yes mm-hmm. i think that if i were to put any part of the extended in the theatrical version it would be that scene at the beginning of the movie yeah here's my my my, my take on like we're going to talk about themes here in a little bit as far as this is concerned, but like for a big chunk of this movie, because like if you guys remember last year when we were talking about Two Towers, Theoden's my favorite character in Two Towers. I I love I love the his 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 story, his arc, you know, and this the character, um his lines are fucking epic. And then like he like this movie turns on and then he becomes a fucking dick. It's like, dude, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> 
and it's like god bless man and then but you know obviously the the ending kind of uh you know there's there's a there's some redemption there which we'll get into redemption here in a little bit but um but it's 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 interesting because he goes from my my favorite character to my least favorite in like the scope of like 20 movie minutes from the end of one film into the middle of the next but um but no i i think uh i mean i've i've become more fond of this one you know for me it's always been two towers fellowship and return of the king in that order uh but i've become more fond of it over the years um um we're gonna get into why this film is so important in terms of the way it was made and what was made here in just a little bit when we talk about oscars but um but yeah i think it was it was was really fantastic so let's jump in here with uh with uh um my I'm still my favorite quote to this day is uh is Eowyn when she fucking slaughters the Wraith, man. She rips off the helmet. I am no man and just fucking kills him. It's it's still epic. I'll that's that's the, my the, favorite. The Witch King. Yeah, the Witch King. Mm-hmm. That part's awesome. And, that's and my the, favorite. The Witch King is like such a cool character. Mm-hmm. And like he's such a Darth Vader in this movie when you didn't have that kind of imposing figure in any of the previous mm-hmm. i mean you you had sauron but like you know he's always yeah way over there yeah, he was always like this distant like evil that was always looming but he wasn't like yeah you needed a person he wasn't in your face guy. yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting like we're gonna get into good versus evil down here in just a little bit but that's interesting how like the the true the true bad guy in its essence you very rarely see and has like mm-hmm. zero and has zero lines throughout the three films and like, you know, 27 hours of movie making, you know, it's just crazy. <laughs> um, and uh, yet yeah, he's this power. It's this powerful force that just can't be, just can't be reckoned with, which isn't it. I don't know. It's incredibly fascinating. Um, Trip favorite, uh, favorite quotes. You know, man. Uh, let me find out. I, I put one here. So I think I think in all three movies I had like a least favorite quote where <laughs> there was a line I can't remember what it was in the previous movies but like just a line that makes me cringe and in this one I hope this isn't anybody's favorite but it's <laughs> the comes, part where here comes Sam right <laughs> go ahead keep going no this is the first one that's not from Samwise uh it's when Gimli and Legolas are about to like go into the battle and Gimli says never thought I'd die fighting side by side with an elf and Legolas says, what about side by side with a friend? And that like that one line just bugs me so much. I hate that line. Yeah, it's pure cheese. It's yeah. pure cheese. That was like, yeah, it was, it was like Randy Newman came in and fucking wrote a line of dialogue for Peter Jackson. You know, <laughs> yeah, like, it's but... so bad. It's <laughs> like that. That part yeah. just makes you shrivel got up a, and die. You've got a friend in me, Master Dwarf. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that one line leaves a bad taste in my mouth but my favorite line i think i didn't put it in my notes but i believe it's gimli that says certainty of death small chances of success what are we waiting for absolutely <laughs> i love that line. yeah That's and i think my favorite line has been gimli in all three movies my least favorite has been samwise in the previous one uh, i definitely wrote down that gimli one as well as one of my options <laughs> Sam, what uh, what about you? You got a notebook. No, I, 
It's hard. Yeah, to... that's that notebook he held up is just the script. Yeah, he, he just circled, <laughs> highlighted every line. Yeah. yeah. It's hard not to pick like one of Aragorn's his speech before they right. Black Gate, and it's hard not to pick Theoden when they roll up to Pelennor Fields. I mean, that whole scene is just super epic. Right. Um, so I'm gonna go with a funny one from the extended cut. Because those two are majestic. I feel like me reading them doesn't even do them justice for how they go in the movie. But it's uh, right at the beginning when Gimli, uh, Gimli challenges Legolas to a drinking game. I almost picked <laughs> oh, that one. Oh, yes. He's clearly just, he's clearly just hammered. <laughs> and he goes, it's the dwarves that go swimming with little hairy women. <laughs> 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 And then he passes out. It's perfect. <laughs> well, no, no. Then he says, like Legolas says, I think I feel something in my head. And he says, Ah, I told you you couldn't hold your liquor. Then he passes out. <laughs> uh it's it's Gimli is just comic relief this entire mm-hmm. movie. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> he's great. Yeah, their whole their whole their whole dynamic is just is really like it's it's very yin and yang and it just it it, it works to a very interesting comic relief throughout the whole throughout three three, three films. It's really great. Matt, what about you? Agreed. Well it it comes on I mean I my first choice was absolutely when Aowen says takes off the helmet and says, I am no man. I mean yeah. just the the way she delivers that line is just absolutely. I mean, I remember every hair on my body standing up when she delivered that line. Um, sitting in the theater for the first time watching it, it was just epic. You but know, it's coming though. Like you that's do. The thing. Like yeah, and because you know, because the witch king delivers his fucking line, and you know it's fucking coming. And yeah, it's like it could have it could have been so bad, but she fucking nails it. Like just oh, the, that delivery it. is that delivery is just so spot on. I loved it, but I have to again come back to Gimli, and it's sort of a throwaway line in in response to somebody else's line. When I think it's Pippin says, "The salted pork is particularly good," <laughs> and, and Gimli has this look on his face. Salted you can pork. see drool coming down his face. He's like, "Salted pork." <laughs> it was just it was just so because oh, you yeah. know. They're just famished and they haven't eaten anything other than probably, you know, moldy stale biscuits for, you know, weeks. And he's he's here's salted pork and he just loses it. I absolutely love that exchange. Mushy lambus bread or whatever they can find they can find or whatever. Yeah. So uh, Yeah. Yeah. This is uh uh Gimli's Gimli's like I said, he's just really underrated. They the you know, Barry and Pippin are supposed to be the comic relief throughout much of it. They have a very interesting character arc in this 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 final version of the film because they they kind of lose that, and it's kind of made up in other spots by other characters, which is really interesting. Um, I've always wondered why there wasn't, and I understand like the the, the seriousness of the quest and stuff like that, but like I think I was thinking about this today, and we we really like we the last two pods on this, we've really ragged on Sam quite a bit. And that whole, the, you know, we're going to get, I mean, he sucks in the first two movies. I'll say (laughs) we'll, we'll, we'll get to Sam. Uh, he, he (laughs) dude, He redeems himself with this fucking movie. I, I'm, I'm with you, man. I, I, yeah, I had, I, I, that's, 
I've had some interesting conversations about our, our harsh takes on Sam recently. So it's, it's okay. It's fine. Um, but, but he redeems himself in this film and I, I believe, but um, I wonder like, would it have killed the story if they had just had some comic relief in the whole Sam Frodo, even, you know, Gollum added into it and stuff. Like, I don't know. Like if that would have just killed. Yeah. The there's not a lot. It like the movie gets very serious. Anytime it cuts to them. Yeah. Oh, it gets so dark. I mean, they're going into like, like hell basically. Yeah. 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 And so, it makes sense. Like they, they are, I guess they are the, the pillar of seriousness of the film. Like you have the, the, the action, you have the comic relief occasionally. And then it's just like, this is, the, this is the dramatic part. Like this is the, the pillar of the pillar of doom, so to speak, if I could be over the top. But I, uh, but I was just thinking about that. I was like, man, there's just nothing funny about this, like them ever. Like, and there's so many other funny parts uh, throughout the throughout the mm-hmm. films and stuff. And so, interesting. Uh, this is always my favorite thing to do. Uh, Sam and I started this tradition when we did Gladiator to read this, read the IMDb synopsis of a film, which is basically a one to three sentence like, uh, like plot setting of uh, of the movie and everything um so we said the runtime on this was three hours and 21 minutes theatrically or four hours and 20 16 minutes for the extended cut imdb says fuck that shit i'm reducing it down to one sentence here we go this is the imdb <laughs> synopsis of the film gandalf and aragon lead the world of men against sauron's army in order to draw his gaze from frodo and sam as they approach mount doom with the one ring that's it i mean they're not wrong the movie it's just one part yeah (laughs) yeah they kind of like yeah they could have thrown in a couple sentences here man like i think they could have like they're i'm not sure what it would be like how do you reduce something down to one sentence but imdb seems to fucking figure it out every time like it's just ridiculous Mm -hmm. uh Fuck you, Peter Jackson, in your four hours and 16 cut extended. Here's one sentence to explain the whole thing. To say nothing of the insult. Now you don't even Tolkien. need to watch it. Yep, you don't even need to watch it. Fuck you, Tolkien. We got this. Here it is. But um, I mean, they could they could just, you know, do a quick synopsis that says some fictional characters do some stuff. <laughs> True. Yeah. Could have been worse. The end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's... In a world. <laughs> some fictional characters. <laughs> in a world um but history was made with this guys history was made with this movie this was this is still to date the only time in history this has ever happened in 2000 2004 oscars and the only time still 20 years later it's the only film to have done this it is the only film to win every single category it was nominated in 11 oscars that's a sweet baby holy cow crazy just nuts man um un- unbelievable run unbelievable run so i i brought up some of the other nominees just because like i wanted to kind of take a look at some of the like the more popular ones but like let's take a look at some of this stuff so it wins uh it went we'll talk about these but like uh, obviously the big one it won best picture so um and i have to say i there like usually i can like i Man, I'm always one to play devil's advocate when it plays the, when it comes to the Oscars and stuff, man. But I have to say that, like, they got it right. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, 
Lord of the Rings Return of the King wins Best Picture over Lost in Translation, Mystic River, Master and Commander of the Far Side of the World, and Seabiscuit. Right? That went like the there I can't even make an argument as much as I love Seabiscuit. And Master Commander is actually really well shot, but I'm not a big fan of the film. Yeah, I didn't like that movie very much. I thought it was good, but not great. It, yeah, it doesn't win. I actually never saw that movie, so I've I've heard it's good, but I haven't seen it. I think you'd like it, Matt. It's really well shot. I think the I mean, and, and I'm not trying to rag on Mystic River or Lost in Translation. I think they're also really good films. I just like mm. like Return of the King just kills this. Like just destroy. Like how Sam for you because I know this is your favorite, right? Like it went up against so like I guess this is really an insult to these other films, but like, like the tear down, like usually there's like, Oh, that one should really good too. Like, that's a really good film, blah, blah, blah. You know, like how did it, you know, lose to that? But like, this is an easy call. Like there's not even an argument to be made. Right. Yeah. I agree. I agree with you. I mean, I enjoyed master and commander. It's a well shot movie. Sea biscuits, a great movie, but it's not, it's not better than this movie. It just, it's not like there's, yep. I don't know what the vote is for if they ever publish a vote in the Oscars about how it went, but I don't think it would have been close. Well, and this, this best picture award was really, um, it felt like it was an award for the whole trilogy. Yeah. As well. It was, it was like, look, this was the, this, this was the swan song closing act of this incredible cinematic trilogy. So this, this best picture award is for for the whole thing. You know, that's how it really felt. Yeah. Like, yeah. like this best picture is for the whole series, mm-hmm. all yeah, three like, movies combined. We fucked up the last two years. We're gonna make up for it on this one, by God. Yeah. Yeah, I still disagree. I mean, Two Towers should have won the year before, but yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's an interesting we can have that interesting discussion. Peter Jackson also winning best director. That was also kind of an obvious one for me. Yeah. Um the uh he was up against um Sofia Coppola and uh for uh, Sofia Coppola lost translation. Peter Weir master and commander. Clint Eastwood for Mystic River. Here's my yeah, here's the here's the wild card of it though. And I don't know if you, any of has anyone seen has anyone seen City of God? Fernando Mayrellis is the director. No, it's so nope. fucking good. Oh, it's so good! It's such a great. It, film. It's one of those movies that like has always been on a list in my head, but I've never actually watched. Oh god, you got to see and it! I, I think so River is also a very good movie, but mm-hmm. um, I, but it's not Clint Eastwood's best movie, in, in my opinion. Um, but I think it's very good. But yeah, right. not I'm the Return of the King. Forget about it. Yeah, it's just yeah, Peter Jackson again, just unbelievable. Um, wasn't even nominated the previous year, by the way. Roman Polanski won for the pianist. Mm-hmm. If we remember that, which is crazy. Which, uh, that's a, it is a and, and that movie is also very good, but yeah, mm-hmm. Peter Jackson not nominated nonsense. Yeah. So yeah, Chicago won Best Picture the previous year. Um. Which I need, they need to revitalize that genre. I'm just that's my side take for 2003 Oscars. Like more, more, more. If you're gonna bring, like, let's bring back that genre. So like we can actually have some reference point. Because I think Chicago actually is a brilliant film. 
just really not nothing to really compare it to. Like, mm-hmm. you know, at least in like in the modern era, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, Chicago, way better than White Christmas. Like, they're not even this. It's not even the same fucking galaxy. Like, in terms yeah. of filmmaking, <laughs> but it's like the same genre. Um, but going back to uh, 2004's winners, so the it also takes home the so best picture, best director, best uh, writing adapted screenplay. So this Fran Walsh. Uh, what was it up against in that category? Yeah. So really, I again, I don't. I really don't see that too big of a contender here. This is pretty interesting. Um, the um, why can't I find this? I had it bookmarked. Thank you very much, Bear. Um, so the nominees: City of God, okay, Mystic River, Sea Biscuit, and American Splendor, which I haven't seen. Heard about it? Haven't seen it. Seen the other three. I thought the I thought that the way that the script was written in Seabiscuit was interesting. The uh, the overlays of like the radio broadcasts and stuff like it was really well. That's more shot, but uh, the script is interesting too. So, but like we talked about with with the exception of of Tripp's one line that we pulled out, you know the the piece of dialogue that Randy Newman inserted for Peter Jackson. Like this is a pretty flawless script for me. Like it yeah, just I runs so to, just runs together really well. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, they also had the task of tackling the density that is the book Return of the King mm-hmm. and turning that into a three hour. Like, like Trip said a second ago, it was like this movie could have been nine hours long. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. With everything that's in this book, we're able to turn it into a brilliant three hour movie that wraps up a trilogy. Mm-hmm. We all saw how Game of Thrones failed to wrap up that series. Like it's what could have happened in 2003, but they nailed it. It wins so for best visual effects. Right, it wins for best visual effects. It goes up against Pirates of the Caribbean uh, and Master and Commander, which is fine. I'm with that, of course. I, I think that's again an easy win. It's an easy win, and I, I think didn't it win best special effects all three years? It was up for yeah, it was up for the nom all three years. The the one that it was interesting to me was um, film editing. Jamie Selkirk, who actually edited all three, wins the Oscar for Lord of the Rings: Return of the King. This dude, like, if you look at his IMDb page, he's got something. He's got nothing impressive leading up to this, and he ended up producing a couple of <laughs> cool films later. But he's got nothing impressive leading up to this, really. And then he does King Kong, Peter Jackson's next film. And then that's it. This guy hasn't edited a film, didn't edit another film until 2017, a film that I still haven't seen. And that's it. Like, dude, like Jamie Selkirk pulling off the Shane and just riding off into the sunset, man. Like, fuck it. I've done it. Oh. No, you know what? I just looked him up on IMDb. So he was a, like, he must have been one of Peter Jackson's OG uh crew because he right. he edited bad taste meet the right. feebles dead alive uh and the frighteners yeah he's a peter like jackson all guy peter jackson major yeah. movie but, but yeah, yeah it's weird that he didn't edit anything since then 
Yeah, Peter. I mean, this launch. Peter. But I guess Jackson's Peter Jackson career. also hasn't directed much since. Yeah, and and this, but this this put Peter Jackson on the map, right? Like he again, he hasn't mm-hmm. had a long-standing mm-hmm. career, but this was this was his thing. Like shout out to Jamie Selkirk though for beating out Walter Murch in this category, who's just like an icon in film, right? So he beats out Walter Murch for Cold Mountain, uh, City of uh, Daniel uh, Resendi, City of God, Lee uh, Lee Smith, Master Commander, William William Goldenberg too. Sea biscuit. So I mean, wow. he beat out two two icons in the industry in uh, Goldenberg and, and Birch, and just yep, cool. I did it. I'm done. Good stuff. Wins for makeup: Pirates of the Caribbean, Master Commander, the other nominees. Best original score: Howard Shore coming through. Beat out Daniel. I, mean, I think that's a. Still, I think that's no contest. Like the score in this movie is incredible. Yeah. Oh, it, it adds so much emotion to every scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, Howard yeah. Shore is brilliant. Like Howard Shore is throughout the like the entire series. Like he's really good. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's some of the best movie music ever, ever composed. Yeah. And it it is so. I mean. Yeah, I wanted to get so your chat on this. Perfectly. You're, you're a music guy. It's, you're a music guy, so I wanted to get your take on this. Yeah, go for it. But it's so I I talked about it on the Two Towers show. It's it, it's so perfectly stylized for the scenes, for the characters. Every character's, you know, because it's very common that in movies, good composers give each of the main characters their own musical theme. Mm-hmm. And each one is stylized perfectly for the character. And the, yet they also mesh together in this symphonic masterpiece uh, that he rightfully won the Academy Award for Fellowship, Two Towers. Not He didn't get the original score Oscar for Return of the King, but he did get Best Original Song for um, uh, Into the West. Mm-hmm. So he got best original song, but not the not for best original score. Um, I mean, it's just it's brilliant, and the not to jump. I'm sorry if I'm jumping ahead, but when when Pippin sings, um, to uh, oh Denethor, Denethor to Lord Denethor. Oh shit! That that is absolutely haunting and. So, and that's the lyrics were taken from one of Tolkien's sort of poetic takes. And the, um, the melody was actually, the melody for that song was actually written by Billy Boyd, who plays Pippin. Right. Oh, wow. The act he actually wrote the melody to sing those lyrics along with and sang it, you know, uh, in the film. I mean, it was recorded at a studio, but that's him. And he actually wrote that melody to go along with. And the melody is haunting. And that scene, the way where Denethor is stuffing his face and being all gluttonous, and, and there's so yeah. much symbolism in it, it just blows my mind. And then the cuts to the battle scenes with this soft, haunting music behind it. It's just, oh my gosh, I can't even take it. There's so, so much depth 
in this whole series and that scene is just another one of those and and again the way they use the music and howard shore puts that slowly building symphonic uh swell behind what pippin is singing it's just you can't even can't even take it it's incredible i'm i'm totally stepping on best best scene here so this sucks like like spoiler alert I I have a but I have a, I have a serious take about this that scene. I think that scene, in its entirety, the aesthetic, the score, the acting, can't really say the script. There's not much talking, but the way it's shot, yeah. the way it's lit, the way it's mixed, is probably the best shot best scene filmed in the 21st century. And that's that's my hot take. There I just can't think of anything else in the last 20 years that combines all of those things so perfectly. I guess the nitpick is the no script, right? They're not really they're really not talking, but like the the music, the song, the lyrics make up for it. It's just fucking amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, and what he what Pippin says before he starts singing is he he's like I'm just a I I don't remember exactly what he says, but something along the lines of I'm I'm just a hobbit. We don't have song. We don't have songs for for um, dangerous times and lofty halls or something like that. And Denethor is like or is your song not good enough or is my hall not good enough for your song? Go ahead, sing. And I, I'm with you hundred percent bear. It's just there. There's no words that need to be spoken. There's no dialogue needed. Mm-hmm. The, the depth of the lyrics of those words that are being sung with the hauntingness of the way the melody falls and cut back with the juxtaposition, cut back and forth with the battle scenes and with Denethor, I mean the gluttony Just of stuffing his face, stuffing his face, yeah. and so, it's 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 man. again. I know yeah. these authors go back to these biblical roots where they take from biblical symbolism, and it's that whole eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die thing. It's like it's just so deep. It's I agree that scene is one of the best ever put on film. The mm-hmm. the mixing is like so deep. Like Selkirk, right? It's editing here. So like he he dials down the sound of battle, the clashing, the clanking. It's much more a dialed down volume to Denethor's eating the song, the score is is at a higher pitched yeah. volume. It, like it's just so fucking good. Like it's just amazing. It it's 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 just one of the best shot things I've ever seen, man. I just, you know, and that's, and I'm a Gordon Willis fan. So like the fact that Gordon Willis didn't shoot it was like, <laughs> was, you know, um, I mean, it's just, just incredible. It was just incredible. So, um, but um, well, I mean, some of these other ones, uh, I mean, we're pretty kind of obvious winners too. So, I mean, best film editing Selkirk, I mentioned best art direction and set decoration. I mean, pretty pretty good stuff there best costume design 
I think the costumes in this are I think the the uh the uh the thing that Pippin wears and like the garb of 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 Gandor, you know, the the tree of life and stuff uh mm-hmm. is just really beautiful, you know, the way that they did that. Best makeup, best music original score, best music music original song, best sound mixing. It's probably for just that fucking scene. Best visual effects. Eleven Oscars in total, a clean sweep, first time in history. You know what's hilarious too? Is two other films have won eleven Oscars. It's the most most ever. Titanic is one, Ben Hur is the other. Wow. But Titanic, so Bernard Hill has been a part of twenty two Oscars in those two movies. Wow. Because he's yeah. the captain in Titanic. That's right. Theoden King, man. Rocket. <laughs> Love me some Theoden, even though I hate him in the first half of this film. <laughs> no, I I so Sam, you mentioned this is like one of your your favorite films of all time. Like like what? Top five, top three? Top top five for sure. Top five That's for it. sure. All right. Yeah, I feel pace changes in the five move around, but yeah. Top five for sure. The, as is fellowship fellowship or two okay so two so two so both of those are in your top five okay trip where where does this rank top five top 10 top 50 hmm. i i would say two towers and return of the king are in my top 15 okay matt what two about towers you? might be top 10 Two towers might be top ten. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'd say the whole series lands in my top twenty-five of all time. I can't, I can't really say uh, exactly where each of them rank, but just thinking off the top of my head about the movies that I've loved in my life and would rewatch at any given opportunity. Um. These are abs. All three of these movies are absolutely in the top twenty-five for me of all time. Yeah. And it's it's hard too because it's just one cohesive story with all three movies. Yeah, it, right. it's kind of hard to separate them. Like to me, when I think of them, I think of it as one super long movie. Yeah, and I have done I have done the marathon viewing before. It was years ago, but I had a Saturday once where I did. And I did extended cuts of all three. I started in the morning and it ended at night. And that was a, that was a long day, but it was, it was really a cool experience to, to, and I tried so hard to just focus on the screen, put away my phone and social media and all that stuff and just focus on what was happening on the screen. Um, It was a cool experience. I don't, really recommend it <laughs> because it's basically you're giving up a whole day but- when this came out i remember there were theaters around me doing a marathon where you would yeah. watch you would watch a uh, fellowship of the ring then two towers and then at midnight uh return of the king would start yeah and it was like who has time to do this <laughs> Stay up till four in the morning. A lot of nerds after man. getting to the theater nerds. at like seven p.m. Yeah, I'm. I've done the marathon as well. 
That was I did extend cut too. A lot of day drinking. That was fun. That was good. Good times. <laughs> it's I mean, it's kind of a must when you're spending twelve hours watching movies, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like we've all probably done it, but now I want to like smoke a brisket and just like sit outside, smoke cigars, yes. and watch all three extended cut films. Yeah, yeah, yes. And at the end, that's you the way brisket. to do it. And at the end, you have brisket. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> See, Sam may be younger than all of us by like, you know, 15, 20 years, but I tell you what, man, he's got he's got the 40 year old man syndrome. Like when men turn 40, it's like smoked meat or Civil War history. It's just one of the two. I think it's like a Jeff Foxworthy joke. Yeah, no, man, dude, I'm I'm into it. That's fine. Yeah, it's like a Jeff, it's, it's like a Jeff Foxworthy joke I stole from him. Uh, it's yeah. like, yeah, when men turn 40, they, they, they get in they get into one of two things. Um, no, I think. uh I've dude, I've I've watched so many fucking films in my life. Um I'm Yeah, that's that's what makes it so hard for me to categorize. Yeah. So if if so I have two takes on this. Is in terms of favorites, like all three are probably are all three are definitely in my top fifty. Return of the King is probably in the top forty. Two Towers is probably the top thirty. Um and you know, fellowship somewhere in between there. But um I in terms of filmmaking I I think both this and Towers are pr- shit man they've got to be top 15 top 10 for me yeah like in terms of like best films ever like made like best sure. films ever made like in my opinion like it like I again I've rewatched it on a loop this last week it's just it's just so fucking good it's just so well made. Um, you know, the fact that you basically have three Helms Deeps in it. And I still, th- I, I mean, I still think Helms Deep beats them all. But, um, but that being said, I just think it's, I think it's just, it's just incredibly well done. So, um, wanted to get into some themes. But before that, wanted to go ahead and bring in our uh, first sponsored segment of the night, which is our presidential trivia segment sponsored by United Cigars. Uh, featuring La Giana Havana and distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed, excuse me, the firecracker and the highly acclaimed out of Bay, Byron. And now Alfonso lines from Select Tobacco. Smoke one today and start living united. As well as tonight's guests, Mr. Trip Waldrop, Sam Spencer, and Matt Tyre, all here brought to you by United Cigars. Smoke one today and start living united. So this is our presidential trivia segment, gentlemen. I actually wanted to have a little fun with this tonight. So Oliver, sorry about this. We're we're going to take a break from presidential trivia, but I wanted to. I thought this would be fun. I want to put you guys on the spot. Y'all ready for this? I oh, want you to. I want you guys to name your top presidential ticket. That means a president and vice presidential candidate using the characters from the film. And if you want, I can go first because I have a very, I have a very good take on this. I think you're going to have to go first. We all got to think about it. That's fine. I'm totally going to, I'm totally game for this because I'm going to set, I have a hot take on this. I've got mine. She's, she's not, she's more prominent in the, she's more prominent in the books for sure. And she's more prominent in the previous two films. But my presidential nominee is Galadriel. And her vice presidential candidate is Elrod. Ooh, I am, man. yeah, I, yeah, dude. The El- the Elvish wisdom, dude. Like, you know what? They may not have known what to do with Arwen and let her like actually live her own life, 
you know what? They can have that flaw, but I, they know how to fucking run a society, man. Like I'm just saying, like they can, they can, they can take over. The, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Galadriel was my presidential nominee. All right, I've got mine. I'm gonna Maybe. say Aragorn for president, and Mary Ann Pippin for vice president. Co <laughs> <laughs> vice president. The, the job that doesn't really do that much needs to get some... dude they are yeah. halflings they are halflings dude you gotta they, they make one whole person you know exactly each of them is half of a man yeah it's good oh nice oh man nice. this is tough i thought about going to the pippin route for president oh nice <laughs> just cause chaos in that country <laughs> <laughs> you always have to look. You always look. <laughs> and give the, uh, give some, give some I, throwback. I can't remember to, the name some, of the role. Give some throwback to Lyndon Johnson. You always have to look. Sorry. Anyway, presidential joke. It's well, fine. Who? Who? What's? What's the role of uh, the the person who holds all the press conferences? The press, press secretary. Sec- press secretary. Press secretary would be the mouth of Sauron. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit dude dude that character i know it's all like visual effect dude that character fucking steals like the screen dude like you can't take your eyes I, off i of love him. that character it's so cool it's so oh you can't take your eyes off it you're not trying you're like I, am i disturbed am i grossed out am i fascinated what the fuck is going on with my senses right now all of the above yeah it's nuts <laughs> is he only in the extended I've got my my versions are all meshed in my, but is it? Uh, I don't remember in the extended version. I, oh, I think it's the only the extended. I, I'm, okay. Oh, really? I think he might be mm-hmm. theatrical. I watched extended, so oh. interesting. Man, what a, what a terrible take! It. What a terrible take! If he's only in theatrical, man, that would suck. Seriously. Well, and now I want to read the books because Jay Davis said in the comments that. The Witch King and the Mouth of Sauron both like are weak in the movie, and you get way more to them in the book. So I'm like, I want to know more about those guys. Well, I so not to get off track, but we can maybe touch back on it again later. But I do believe that we see we see multiple times in Return of the King the vulnerabilities of Sauron especially the eye of Sauron. Mm-hmm. Um, but without, yeah, we can continue with the, the whole president thing, but I just, that popped into my head. Yeah, that's good. We could, but we could bug, bug, bug that. So Matt, what about did, you, man? Did we get sidetracked before Sam got his out? Yeah. Sam, no, oh, yeah, Sam, Sam was good. Yeah. Sam was. Sam. So you I thought Sam... about taking the Pippin route. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go with Gimli for president. Nice. You know, just the stoic. You never know what he's gonna do. Demeanor. And then I'm gonna go with uh. Oh man, you know, Amir for VP. Just he seems like the kind of guy you just call and be like, you know, I gotta bury a dead body. He's be like, <laughs> where you at? <laughs> Arnold Urban. Just plays the role perfectly. I know he's in Two Towers a lot more. He's a much yeah. better character in that movie. I'm I'm Gimli, 
and then Amer. Yeah, for me, I have to agree with Trip that Aragorn would be a great president. You know, he's, I mean, he's the uh, born leader. It's like one of the major themes of this. Yeah, movie. yeah. he's he's also the, like reluctant leader. Yeah, exactly. That's what you exactly. want. Exactly. He's, and we he's a reluctant get. leader. He's he's quiet until it's called for him to speak. He's he's he analyzes situations. He's not brash. He's not a a, a braggart. Um, so I would go with him for selfless president for vice president. I, I think I'm going to throw Gimli in there for, for not only comic relief, but also because he would just make the white house fun again. You know, <laughs> it would just be, we need hats with that. Yeah. I mean, he would just it, it'd have like, you know, big, uh, you know, horns of ale and salted pork and, I, it would just i i would love it i would love it he would like he would do tours of the white house and he would hand out like beards to put on people like you know or at or axes for the children it would be totally inappropriate but it'd be fun yes. you know like just yeah, yeah. make like, the make the white house fun again gimli gimli for vp sounds good he would just always a little drunk you know just a little yeah just yeah. a little drunk yeah just to yeah, you know, just to keep it froggy. Nothing, nothing, nothing too. And Aragorn, Aragorn would only call him out into public service long, long enough to like dedicate a bridge or christen <laughs> a new you know naval vessel or something, and then it's like okay, Gimli, get back, get back in your back you in know, the cave, back in the cave, and you know have a have another drink. Gimli, your job is to pardon the turkey this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Don't fuck this up, okay. No, I think you're. T I mean, yeah, I think Gim the take on Gimli Aragorn. would instantly chop the turkey. Yeah, that off. Th right, that's exactly. exactly what I was thinking, Matt. Like Gimli's got his axe ready, and he's like, "Oh, you wanted me to pardon the turkey? I thought we were butchering the turkey. Yeah, butchering. <laughs> <laughs> look like good eats to me. It's fine. Um, yeah, he'd be like, best not let it go to waste. <laughs> I I think that uh, uh, er like Aragorn's leadership is just really. I was thinking about that today, Matt. So it's interesting that you kind of just pinpointed it with it. But like when he leads the charge, he's like this, like even when he's like leading the charge, he's again, he's the first one off the line, you know, against the army of Sar at the, at the gates of Sauron uh, uh, and uh, uh, excuse me, of Mordor rather. And uh, he, uh, you know, he, the, the words out of his mouth is this is for Frodo, you know, you know, and he's the first off the line which i also think interesting so here's your here's your here's your validation here sam the next one the next two off the line are mary and pippin which i mean what yeah, a, i what a i love that part guys. that like yeah all three of them are like if nobody else is coming with me i'm going to fight like yeah. it doesn't matter what happens i'm going to fight mm -hmm. yeah and even throughout like the whole film like because they get to like develop on their own in this film mm -hmm. as characters because before this movie it's like they were together they were like a package deal yeah is married and then they go out on their own and they're both yeah. like let's get in the fight mm -hmm. let's fuck up some and like both of them are like no gandalf's like no go back go back to the citadel and david's I... like no like you're not going with us <laughs> I, I think uh man, what a dude, what a freaking call out by Mary on Pippin though, when he like he's about to leave with Gandalf and he's like 
He's like, you have to look. You always look. And he's fucking calling his shit out for the same shenanigans that he's done since the first fucking first film. And like, and the guy like, yeah, they're looking for you. They think you have the ring. Here's the last of the tobacco. Here's the last of the long bottom leaf. Like, he's like, it's almost <laughs> gone. He's like, yeah, you smoke too much, Pippin. You dipshit. Like, oh my god, dude. He's just so fucking. He's just fucking cold. Just cold, man. I think it's hilarious too because I've seen all these memes on social media. Somehow I get all these Lord of the Rings things get advertised yeah, to me. Shocker. Yeah. Somehow. But yeah, somehow. But it's like Sauron trying to figure out their plan. It's like Pippin on his last brain cell. Just has <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no idea what the plan is. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, those were our presidential ticket nominees. For uh, and this was our presidential trivia segment brought to you by United Cigars, featuring Lagiana Havana, uh, distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero Garofalo, the Firecracker, and the highly acclaimed Atabay Byron, and now Alfonso lines from Selected Tobacco. Smoke one today and start living united. Um, so wanted to get we had some I had some topics here for us um, to kind of go through. I think there's a, a, there was a lot of themes and we've covered this in previous pods, but I just thought that like. Uh, we talked a little bit about this already, and I wanted to give us an opportunity to talk about it. So Trip and I are on the same page. We're pretty fucking hard on Sam, the first two films. Um, Samwise is a little, you know, it's just it's just bad. But there's this He's Luke Skywalker for five hours from New Hope. Yeah, yeah. Like just whiny, doesn't want to go anywhere. Always wants to make ten breakfasts, you know, like just it's bad, mm-hmm. but. Um, but there's something to be said about the, we're going to talk about redemption here in a second. I don't want to step on that, but the, the, I think truth, I mean, while there's really great acts of friendship in the, in the previous two films with specifically with Sam and the other characters as well, I think the overlying theme of the entire three films, friendships is one of those constants. Um, mm-hmm. and, and one of the things that I really like about, um, about the friendship theme that kind of carries itself throughout the entire is the intense loyalty that even though they're apart for a lot of this film and they're kind of broken in the fellowship, they're like completely spread out across yeah. middle earth and their undying loyalty to each other, regardless of that is still very much felt through the entire film, which I think is the, I think, which makes Peter Jackson extremely brilliant on this point. But I'm, I'm a really big fan of how, a lot of a lot of the the friendship circles and like you know one of the 20 endings that happens you know when 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 uh Frodo's recuperating and everybody comes into the room and everyone's just rejoicing again it's that full circle from 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 fellowship that kind of comes back full circle a little bit which is nice i i just really love the i really love the friendship arc you know throughout the throughout the three films but what what do you guys take on friendship here for the themes All right, I'll start. Uh, Sam, like, Sam, I mean, it's hard to talk about this without talking about Sam's redemption arc at the same time. But Sam goes from being very, trying to keep Frodo safe to kind of realizing that they have a goal and he needs to be there for Frodo because Frodo can't do this by himself. And it's just the two of them with uh, Gollum tagging along. 
Yeah. Um, but just the way that Sam, like, Sam steps up in this movie and he's there for Frodo, you know, in his in his darkest hours mm-hmm. uh, multiple times. Rescues him from and, the den, right? The 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 orc den. Yeah. And then and then carries him up the fucking mountain, you know. And so I was sucking I was I was I was remembering this line and like a lot of people I've I've talked to about this over there is like, oh it's so freaking cheesy. Like I can't carry the ring, but I can carry you. Fuck you, man. That's good exactly shit. yeah. That That's line's so shit. cheesy, but at the same time, like it it means so much in the context of the story. Oh, it's so and it's fucking good, on its dude. own, it's super cheesy. Yeah, like if you just requote it, like that's why it's not one of my favorite quotes of the film because you just can't repeat it without the context of everything. Like it's really good. It's a really good moment. And I really like I really like it. We can talk yeah, about and, the redemption arc. It's fine cuz I think it goes hand in hand with this with yeah, Sam's character. We'll get, yeah, exactly. So. Sorry. It, um It's also interesting too cuz I think in the whole series Sam is the only one who gives up the ring willingly. Yeah. He hands it back. That's true. Mm-hmm. I never thought about that. So, which begs the question, it, it, which begs the question is, who was actually the chosen one then to carry it? Was it really the literal bearer of the ring? Was it literally Frodo or was it Sam? I'm totally stepping in here on this friendship thing here with something else, but I think it's an important point to make. Yeah, I've been kind of boiling on this for well, for 20 years, Sam is the hero of the story. Okay. Pretty much. Sam's the hero. Yeah. Because in the end, the only reason that the ring ended up uh, destroyed by the lava was an accidental scuffle or it was, it was so Frodo gave in and said, I'm going to keep the ring for myself. And then Gollum jumped on Frodo and bit his finger off and, and took the ring and they, a scuffle ensued and they go falling down and Gollum and the ring end up in the lava and, and Frodo ends up hanging on by, um, you know, onto the cliff and Sam saves him. Sam is the hero of the story. And that's the way I felt since I saw the movie. And I still feel that way today. Now the, the friendship arc is extremely important because the reason, I mean, yeah, Frodo carried the weight of that ring and and that responsibility all that way. And, but he could not have done so without Sam. He could not have done so without, um, without Aragorn and the soldiers of Gondor distracting Sauron, mm-hmm. you know, in that final push. And I do believe Sam did get some redemption. Uh, I agree that some of uh, just some of the way they presented the character and the lot, some of the lines and some of the cheesiness in the first. Uh, the first couple of movies was a little much, um, but he definitely got his redemption in this film. And mm-hmm. after it's interesting because after the ring is destroyed, Sam doesn't say much. 
Yeah. So no, he goes and I mean, gets his bride, did. man. And just... there's not a lot of dialogue after after the ring is destroyed, actually. Yeah. But it, that's one of the interesting things too is that of one of the people who gets their own like ending, you know, like Aragorn gets his ending with being crowned king, and but Sam is one of those people who gets his own ending. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pippin don't. Gimli doesn't. Legolas doesn't. In the books they do, but, but that's uh, neither here nor there. Yeah. Well, again, in, in the film, Sam does. And I think that kind of portrays like the importance of this character. Yeah. But you think when when Frodo is standing on that on that ledge over the lava and he puts that ring on. If it wasn't for Gollum, the ring wouldn't have been destroyed. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Maybe Sam, maybe if Gollum wouldn't have been there or something else would have happened, maybe Sam just would have said, I'm going to take one for the team and and gone and tackled Frodo and they both go into the lava together. I don't know. But, yeah. uh, um, you know, it's 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 really Sam that, um, Sam saves the day. He's the catalyst for mm-hmm. yeah for the for finishing the the mission. Yeah, I have a take on this as well because that scene where Frodo decides to keep the ring and put it puts it on is like a mirror of a scene in the I think it's in the first movie at the beginning where Isildur keeps the ring and Elrond is standing there. Yeah, yeah, it is a mirror totally, and Elrond doesn't do anything about it, and he could have, but Sam like I have no doubt in my mind if Gollum's not there like. Sam tries to destroy the ring. Yeah. Whereas Elrond stood by and didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he that's let his Sildor walk out. That's why he's my VP candidate, guys. No, no, it, no <laughs> it's an interesting no, it's an interesting observation. I think, like I said, I think I think he's incredibly weak in the first two films. And a weak character, like you wonder why he's there. But I really Matt, that's a really hot take. Um, I like it. I'm not necessarily like I don't I'm not I'm not gonna disagree with you at all. I think that's a really interesting because I mean like all the signs point to it. His redemption arc is just so clean in this. Like it's really fantastic. And you start to see glimpses of it in two towers a little bit, mostly, but it it the problem with the way that it's constructed is it looks like he's being a whiny little bitch because now Colum's in the like Colum's in the mix and you know it's it's yeah. almost like Fane's jealousy a little bit. Um Instead of mistrust, like there, it, it's the way that the, the script is written. I think it's intentionally misleading to make you feel that way. Like I, I don't think that that was by accident. I don't think that Sean, you know, Sean Aston playing, you know, a version of it. I think it's very much intentional to kind of confuse the audience a bit so that it can build yeah, up towards. I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. So, I think I think Peter Jackson wanted to build up some false tension there for the audience. Yeah. What's your? It's just really good. Frodo actually like sends him home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Turns around, comes back. He's like, no, this—that's the theme of loyalty again, right? It's like he's the one that gets Frodo through this because Frodo's carrying the burden, and it's cool because throughout this film you can see the scars around Frodo's neck grow too, of how heavy the ring is. Yeah. So wanted to bring in the the theme of so we're ta- we've talked we've touched a little bit on it. We're going to go back to good versus evil. I want to skip to redemption because I think it's I think redemption is probably the theme of the film. 
Yeah. Um, because we just talked about Sam. But like Pippin, Mary, they have their own redemption as well. Like which characters in your mind, other than the ones that I just mentioned, are seeking redemption? And why are they seeking it? I mean, I think Theoden is a big one. Yeah. He kind of digs himself in a hole in the beginning of this movie. He doesn't mm-hmm. come in redemption. But that that's a big one. Especially with the scene at the beginning where Saruman is like, the victory in Helm's Deep is not yours. Like, you didn't lead them to victory, insinuating that Aragorn did. And like that, like you can tell it bothers him throughout the film. Because like at the party, um, Eowyn like toasts him, you know, like this is for you. He said, I didn't lead our people to victory at Helm's Deep. Like you can tell he he feels like he's not living up to his ancestors. Like they yeah. do the ancestors mm-hmm. throughout the and then you get the battle of Pelmer Fields where he leads the charge from the front, mm-hmm. inspires the men, and is is redeemed and ultimately dies. But I think Theoden is a big, a big redemption story in this film. He answers the call. Uh, like he answers the call, you know, when the, when the, uh, the, the, the fires are all lit and stuff, which is also brilliantly shot by the way. Holy shit. Um, dude, that, that part is so good. The so way that good. that whole scene is filmed is so good. Oh, and the way he delivers the line, everyone runs in the room. It's like Gondor calls for aid. It's just instantly just looks him and Rohan will answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. There's so many opportunities for like lines to be cheesy in this, but he's not like they, they're, they're then still my all time line deliverer in this whole, like the whole series. Like, and so it begins is still my fucking favorite line. It's so good. Like just the way he does it. He's such a great, he's so brilliant. He's such a brilliant actor, but um, the, yeah, but like, I mean, Show of hands, I honestly didn't know what the fuck he was going to say. Like, I thought he was going to be like, we're going to talk about that. Like, it was going to end up being like, I thought originally, like, the first time I saw the film, like, I thought Aragorn was going to have to fucking talk him into it because of his original, like, reluctance at the beginning. I was like, you piece of shit. You're going to fucking put it off again, aren't you? Freaking hated that. It did seem like they were putting it up for that. Yeah. And, like, again, it was like, yeah, to, to your point, like, I think it just, I think he just is a very redeeming. And even the way he shuns Eowyn, you know, and sends her and Mary off and, you know, she saves him and, and, well, you know, saves, God saves the day, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, Aragorn comes in. Yeah. It just, uh, I've got a take on her. I'm going to talk, we're going to talk about her in just a second on this one of the, one of these other themes, but with Theoton, like, like when, you know, on his, on his deathbed, so to speak, and he's dying in arms, like she. He says, you, you, you already dead. Like you saved me. Like that's like, he makes up for all the shit that he said in the first, like 20 minutes of the movie. Man. Like, I'm like, God dang it. They didn't. <laughs> all right, dude, you're the man. All right, cool. Good. Thank you. Thank you for realizing what a badass she is. And, and <laughs> I had to take you dying. You said, I, I think bitch. part that's of the fine. theme of, <laughs> <laughs> I think part of the theme of redemption in this movie is redemption carried over for actions in previous movies, mostly two towers. Um, right. Because I know it's, I think it's only in the extended edition. Uh, Wormtongue gets his redemption mm-hmm. when he stabs Saruman. Yeah. 
And he's, you know, he's pivotal in that whole scene. Uh, and I mean, he was, he was a bad guy in yeah. Two Towers. Well, talk mm-hmm. about, talk about forgiveness. Like that's, I think that's one of Theoden's most redeeming parts of, of you know, while he's being a shithead for the first 20 foods, that's the one part where he's like, come down. You're, you're a man of Rohan. Like I, like I've like, he's forgiving the guy. Like that's mm-hmm. that, that, that's pretty cool. That's actually probably an interest. That's an interesting portion of it. Um, uh, Simon's, uh, Simon's death scene's fucking epic though. The, the impaling yeah, really, on the, yeah. on the, Oh God. The impaling on the wheel. And then he goes into the mud. So yeah. Cool. That's another thing too. It's like the first like 15 minutes or 10 minutes of this movie. You get Smeagol choking out Deagle, and you get Saruman being stabbed in the back and being impaled. And I thought, like, well, and then the heads coming not, over well, the wall later on. The film. This fucking shit is dark, man. Yeah, it's fucking dark. Oh, yeah, like, really dark. Like, I was like, it was close. I don't know how close it was to being rated R, but like, I I remember hearing at the time shit, that it might have been rated R. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty. And that it was close. like uh one of the harder PG thirteens of the time. Yeah, I mean, just because the Arakai are so fucking scary, like Fellowship is on the fence about whether or not I show my eight-year-old kid that movie. I mean, I know Sam saw it when mm-hmm. he was like fucking six, but like, I, um, I'm not passing judgment on your on your parents, Sam. I'm just saying, like, for for me, I'm the helicopter dad. It's fine. Um, so I wasn't. I was probably like I was probably like, you know, ten. Okay, cool. Uh, again, I'm not, I'm just, I'm, that's the commentary on my own parenthood. I'm a, I'm a helicopter dad, but like the, the, <laughs> like fellowship's probably the one that I would show to my oldest. Um, and it's still like, it's really on the fence because they work. I are really fucking scary and there's some pretty graphic scenes, but like, yeah. Yeah. He's not seeing return of the King since until high school, man. <laughs> that shit's fucking dark, man. It's so bad. Yeah. Uh, it's good. It's great, Phelps. Like, yeah, but it's just like they they take it they take it to another leather level. It's crazy. Yeah, it's too it's too much for little kids. Well, that like, when Tolkien wrote this, I mean, there's so many themes of his time fighting in World War One. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Mordor as a whole is just what a World War One battlefield looked like. But yes, yeah. you know, fellowship and friendship and redemption. It's just like he wrote this from a dark place. Yeah. Well, and the, I mean, Sauron, you know, destroying everything green in order to, you know, stoke enough fires to make enough swords for the orcs to, to fight and all this. It's just, that's what he, that's the environment he knew. He knew like ash, breathing ash constantly from fires all around you and poison gas and, and literally writhing in the mud day in and day out for weeks and months at a time, you know, hoping for your next, you know, half can of beans to keep yourself alive. Uh, he knew that world. Yeah. 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 He's, he's one of those, he knew what war was like. Yeah. He was story about war. And I mean, it could have been like therapeutic to him. Like, I don't know what Tolkien. I'm sure. I'm sure it was. I mean, to a really large extent, I'm sure it was a very, you know, cathartic experience for him to write this just like, I, I think that's probably spot on. That's why, like, he has Bilbo right to there and back again, a Hobbit's tale, right? Like, that's the whole. That's he. He's doing a self-portrait there. You know, Bilbo is him. 
you know, he's documenting this, this, this epic journey. Um, mm-hmm. But talking about how dark this film is, right. I think the, I think the lines of good versus evil are probably blurred a lot more in this film than any of the other two. Like mm-hmm. it's very, it's very much like the good versus evil is very clearly distinct. Like, in the other two films where with this one, there's a lot more, there's a lot more gray. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, well, and this one also has the stronger good and the stronger evil. Mm-hmm. Cause like you, you don't have the witch King and the mouth of Sauron in, in the previous movies. Right. I don't think. Um, like, I mean, like we talked about earlier, you don't have like a big bad, the big bad is always Sar- uh, Sauron off in the hills right. of Mount Doom. Well, like, I take, for example, like, Denethor. Like, Denethor's not a good guy. Yeah. He's supposed to be, but he's not. He's on the good guy's side, but he's not. Exactly, yeah. Like, I, I think it's an interesting juxtaposition when you look at who his son was, you know, in Boromir. Who who's my favorite character from Fellowship? We talked about this two years ago, and it's again it's again the theme of redemption, which makes him very a complex, intriguing character, uh, and why I really like him so much. But his dad, his father, uh, Denethor, is just fucking terrible person. He's just a god awful human being, mm-hmm. and it's just it's an interesting juxtaposition how he has and then and and to make matters worse, his his doom is like he has he has no redemption. Well, he's he's so blinded by his own apathy, and and it's not until the very last split second of his life before he burns to death that he realizes how blind he had been to everything. Yeah, and I mean, so blind to not even notice that his own son is actually still alive and still, you know, able to be healed and saved. He's, uh, and it's it's not until it's too late that he realizes it. Mm-hmm. Still doesn't make it a redemption though. I fucking hate that guy. Yeah, not not a redemption. Not a redemption. Yeah. And it was played really well. I don't recall the actor's name, but it was played really well where he was just so so discontent and apathetic and um utterly self-interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's John Noble. Yeah, John I, Noble. Noble. I was trying to think of the name, and all that came to mind was Walter from, uh, when he was in, Fringe. Yeah. Yeah, he does an incredible job playing Dinosaur. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's fantastic in this movie. He comes on screen, and you're like, he looks so goofy with that hair, mm-hmm. and the hairline, and like, then he starts acting, and you're like, blown away. Yeah. Yeah, he's a that John Noble's a that guy. Even though, like, he's been in mm-hmm. some pretty like he's been in a lot of great TV. Um, you know, just like the last you know fifteen years, like he was in Sleepy Hollow, The Blacklist, Salvation, The Resident, Elementary. You know, uh, he's definitely a that guy. Yeah, he's definitely a that guy. Um. <laughs> Because it's like, oh, who that? Oh, it's it's Denethor from Lord of the Rings. That's the it's like that's what he's known for. But 
he's just a very uh he's a very interesting character that i think is like again i think he's i I think <clears throat> i think it's brilliantly acted and that's what makes him a piece of shit so yeah which i i always can appreciate actors who do that like you know i'm i am the biggest fan of denzel washington but like in training day he fucking makes me hate him and that's what makes him really good yeah that's what good actors make you hate them yeah it's it's like if you want to throw a beer at somebody out of the out of the window of the car (laughs) i shouldn't have said beer throw a soda out of the window of the car at somebody (laughs) like just for acting as a character they're doing a great job oh yeah he fledged the joker as well like yes you're skipping oh yeah that's another one where it's like you you it, it brings it to a point where you like almost separate the actor from the character and you're like i hate this character so much and mm-hmm. you don't really think about the actor underneath anymore mm-hmm. yeah i think um and then i think again the you see him like again he was one of those blurred lines it was almost like a precursor to what the entire good versus evil construct would be like when you see Faramir's blurred lines a little bit in two towers. And then obviously he's, he's obviously good. He's definitely on the, on the, you know, he's one of those very definitive people. That's good. Um, Goes off to rides to his, 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 you know, what he believed was his, was his death too for his people and for his father and, in honor of his brother's memory too. Like, I mean, just like shit, man, that guy, um, you can just stand up, dude, <laughs> like, and just straight up, like yeah. one of the best, but, um, anything else on the good versus evil? Cause I want to, I want to get into the thing that we talked on last time, but I think it, it, it creeps back into this one in a really w- real way. No, I don't think so. I think we can move on. Okay, let's talk about let's again. I want to bring back this theme because we talked about it before, uh, which was sexism, and I think, um, well, Theoden was my favorite character in Two Towers. I think Eowyn is probably my favorite character in this one. Um, not probably she is. She's my favorite character in this film, um, and so much more that I wish they should. They, they had done more with her but I think the parts that she is she's just absolutely brilliant and mm-hmm. it she like really emerges as this kind of defiant almost kind of defiant teenager type in the two towers to like this like true complete heroine in in the return of the king like she's she's absolutely sensational and like like the only time that you really see her have any fear is when she's reaching for the sword right before she slaughters the witch king. And that's, I mean, shit, any one of us would be afraid, but like, but she's, she's so poised and dedicated. Like, I I think that, I think that line's great. I think, um, you know, when she's about to write in, she tells, you know, Mary, she's like, courage, Mary, courage for our friends. It's just, ah, man, it's still, it's still free. It get it gets me every time, man. I, 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 man, she, she hits me with that, man. She's, she's absolutely my favorite character in this film. I love her. She's fantastic. And what a, what a hero she is. But it's interesting that like, um, 
because I know we talked a little bit about Arwen as well and Galadriel in previous pods. Um, one, I think it's it's really great in 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 one aspect that Tolkien is puts heroin so you know so firmly placed and everything. But I think he could. I honestly think you know, given the social construct of the day, but I think he could have done a lot more with both with with a lot more of these female characters. That's just my opinion. I agree. Uh, I don't have much more else to say. I mean, I definitely agree with that on the on the Eowyn standpoint. I think, I think all of our opinion in the last movie is like, why does Arwen in this movie? <laughs> but yeah, it feels like this like this weird subplot that doesn't have anything to do with the main plot. But Eowyn in this film is incredible. I agree with you. It's hard not to put her as my favorite character. Just the one-liner when she stands up to the Witch King. So good. It's so, oh, good. so good. It's so just so fucking good. Yeah. Yeah. Awen is uh, the character's fantastic. The 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 actor that played her is incredible. She's amazing. The range of emotion from you know the the romantic tension with her and uh Aragorn, you know is you know just you could see that she there were feelings beyond what was spoken mm -hmm. and um and i'll say just to go back to the um the arwen that i think the only reason we saw arwen earlier in this final film was going back to the redemption topic that we were talking about earlier the only reason that was in there was to show Elrond's redemption because his redemption was to let her be who she wants to be yeah that was his redemption so that the only reason that scene was in there uh was to to demonstrate his redemption um yeah. otherwise I agree she wasn't really pivotal to the to the story at all um you know and, and then again at the end to show that you know um uh, she comes back and Aragorn marries her and she becomes the queen, you know, so be it. That's, we pretty much always knew they were going to end up together. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think her as a plot device in return of the king doesn't bother me as much as she is in the two towers necessarily. I think she's pivotal and she's pivotal in fellowship, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we could have totally admitted her from, from two towers for the most part, but um, the return of the king, I think is really yeah, I think to your point, she's a great plot device for Elrod's redemption, and you kind of need that scene to understand. Like, he, she she just can't fucking show up at the end and be like, "Hey, I'm here." Like, yeah. it's like, well, wait, wait, weren't you gonna leave? weren't you know, weren't you yeah. like, you know? Um, but I think just to go back to Elrod for two seconds, and uh, I think that's a great return to redemption too, Matt. Like your point about that is, like, I mean, three three of the guys on this panelist are dads. Like what, what, you know, all three of us want a better life for our child than we've, that we've had just like our parents wanted better lives for us. And, you know, he looked into the future and he saw death and that's all he saw. And that did, that's all that mattered was just the, was the death of, was the death of his daughter. And he thought he was acting in her best interest, which parents always tend to do. And we've got to live, let them live their own lives, which is always the, the biggest struggle and everything. But, um, which he ultimately does, which is which is great. Um, what I really like about Eowyn, just to go back to her for two seconds, is that at no point in her story arc, though, 
at no point is she the damsel in distress. Amen. Not at all. And I think that is incredibly poignant for Mm -hmm. the time, again, when it was written. But also, I mean, this was 2003, guys. I mean, this was this was a lot. This was 20 years ago. This is this is before a lot of the the, the societal observations um, and opportunities. Like even for women in Hollywood at the time. I mean, this is pre pre the whole Weinstein uh, thing coming out. You know, like this, her having that pivotal of a role her being written that way like yes they threw in the romantic piece for sure but like again she was never the damsel yeah and she's I, a badass yeah she's yeah a fucking, she's a badass for the whole movie yeah and i i mean I, that's why i really i think she's just a beautiful character uh and and miranda Otto's uh, plays her incredibly well incredibly well well so. and it gives her that it gives her that empathetic nature that right. where you know she there are others also who want to fight but are shunned because of their size their sex whatever gives her that it because she has experienced that it gives her that empathetic nature mm-hmm. uh to to uh sneak some other little hobbits into the battle uh well one in particular uh to uh to say look they told me I couldn't fight either, uh, but here I am. So you're gonna you're gonna come with me, and we're gonna fight together. And and this was an yeah, and this was an interesting observation that I, I had this discussion today actually, um, and it was brought to my attention. Like we didn't bring this up on the previous pod, and I think this is a perfect opportunity to talk about it. because she wasn't the damsel, because she was a badass. Like for the for for women who saw this film. How many times have they heard those things? You know, mm-hmm. and even now in 2023, if a, you know a young a young girl sees this movie for the first time, you know, and sees that, I mean, it's she's an incredible, incredible figure to aspire to because, again, even little girls today in 2023 are told. Oh, now they, they've done a lot to kind of correct this. And I don't want to get down too much to this beaten path with like the Disney princesses aren't really princesses anymore and things like that. Moana's a badass, you know, uh, Raya and stuff like that. So like there, I mean, there's a lot more of these characters that are like her, but she's kind of, I think, you know, you could obviously, you can honestly make the argument that she starts this cycle towards that in Hollywood. Well, especially when the book is written. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, going back even further, if you want to talk about when like the book was in, in 2003, there weren't a lot of female badass heroines. Right. In 1955, there definitely weren't any. Right. 100%. And I, I think it I think it's worth noting that because I think it's worth noting the sec that like like the the four of us dudes could say like, "Oh, she's a badass. That's great." You know, like but for 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 women, like she like this is something that they have heard their entire lives. Mm-hmm. You know, even now, you know, I mean, very few women can serve in combat, you know, and it's, it's still very much a global discussion point. Um, and it's, so I think it's, I think, I, yeah, I think her character is, is incredibly important for a number of levels, you know, inside film and, you know, even societal, but, mm-hmm. um, Here's my last two themes that I wanted to talk about. 
because um, I thought they were interesting. Um, we haven't really talked about him much, but Gandalf, you know, he has this incredible, uh, very pivotal performance. Ian McCallum has this incredible pivotal performance in Fellowship. He goes away for the bulk of two towers, saves the day, right? Don't want to go rehash the mm-hmm. two movies, but um, but his role in this one, what like what's the goal in this story for Gandalf? What's he trying to accomplish for much of the much in this, of this one? I see him more as I hate to I hate like reusing words that I've already used, but I see him more he his goal in this one is to be a catalyst, not to be a hero he's there to to facilitate rather than to really participate mm-hmm. in this one with with uh, you know not only convincing but bringing is it mary i i confuse their names all the time the pippin he takes pippin, pippin. to, to mary yes, he takes pippin and like he's the whole reason he ends up there and the whole reason that Pippin ends up having that arc is that Gandalf was there for it. Yeah, I I was thinking Catalyst as well, actually. And it's it's interesting because his goal to get there is to make sure that the beacons are lit so Rohan so Theoden had has to make that decision and to make sure that they hold long enough for Theoden to get there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, in this in this one he he bridges gaps and he creates opportunities for the other characters to fulfill their sort of destiny or uh, yeah exactly get play their their role. In this movie, his char- it feels like his character knows what's going to happen and is trying to just put the pieces in place. Yeah. Yeah, like even when uh, you know, you're like your favorite line for Gimli is like, you know, chance of certain death and like what are we waiting for? <laughs> like it's interesting because Gandalf's leading that conversation, but he's not. Like you said, mm-hmm. facilitates a really great word for that, because he really is just kind of just hanging out. But like, you 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 fucktarts, like, have you guys figured the shit out yet? Like we're <laughs> we we got here's the next step, here's what we gotta do. Um so I think um he's an interesting character in this film. Like he he's he's there. I mean he saves the he saves the retreating um men coming back into Gan uh, uh to Mysterious, rather, excuse me. Um Gandorians, is that a word? Am I making that up? What's the what how would you say a person from Gondor? Gondorian? Is that Gondorians? I'm, am I making that up? I'm making that up. I have to be making that up. Gondolorians? Gondolorians. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I've heard that before. Gondolorians. Yes, they're. Yes, they're. They're. I mean, in the in the Gondolas, second movie, they're rowing they, boats. They would just. Yeah. In the, the second Gondolas. movie, they would just say "men of Gondor." Yeah, men of Gondor. Yeah. So the yeah. men of Gondor who are retreating back to Ministeria, the he goes out and saves the from the wraiths with his uh, with his beacon. Um, and there are those one or two. There really aren't a lot, but there are those one or two instances in this movie. Where Gandalf is that oracle? He's that touchstone. He, he's that mm-hmm. somebody's in distress and concerned about the next steps, and he just gives that little little nudge wisdom and that little 
nudge to encourage the the character to get their focus back for what their purpose is. Yeah, he he tries to do it with Denethor. He does yeah. it with he does it with Theoden, and he plants the bug for Theoden to say, and Rohan will answer. Yeah. It's so interesting because at the beginning, he even tries to do it with Sauron. As far gone as Sauron is, he gives Sauron so many opportunities for redemption. Yeah, Sauron rejects it. But but he even tried to, uh, out of that empathetic nature of his heart, to give Sauron a a final way out to get back on the right side. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. I love uh, I love the juxtaposition of how Saruman is imprisoned at the top of his uh, at the top of his tower, his own creation. Yeah, yeah, his own creation, and that's where Gandalf and- Gandalf was imprisoned as well. So it's an interesting double double juxtaposition because prisoner of his own creation, and then also the fact that Gandalf's looking up at him now. You know, it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool too because I noticed it's really just. A line that you can miss at the beginning, and like Saruman basically says, "I'll come down if you throw away your guard. Let me not be a prisoner anymore, and I'll tell you where your doom will be. Where your doom will be decided, I think is what he says. Yeah, where your yeah. doom will be decided. And then Grima stabs him in the back, and then they're like, "Well, shit. Now, now we don't know where our doom will be decided. Yeah. Okay. Until here's himself, here's my, here's my question about this. Why does Legolas shoot? Grim and Warrington. I mean, I'm not terribly heartbroken about the guy dying. I'm just saying, like, why does he shoot him? I don't think he was trying to shoot Grima. But because Legolas when, doesn't miss. When, well, when, so when Grima when when Grima stabs Sauron in the back, there's a lot of movement. And when that arrow was fired, I think he was aiming at Sauron, but the movement. I don't think that's a very long distance. That's a very long distance. You're shooting, you're shooting in an upward trajectory. I I just think that uh, physics here. Okay. I think he wasn't, I think he was actually aiming for Sauron. Okay. Yeah. What's, what's the travel time of that era? (laughs) You got to think about that. Yeah. Was it an African or European swallow? Um, okay. The era. Um, okay. I don't know. I don't think he misses. He does, I don't think Vince. he misses either. This is an interesting. There's there's two guys on the panel. They're like, yeah, like, like, oh, he, yeah, he missed. Okay, he misses one shot in like all three movies, and it's because it's the scene in this movie where Gimli smacks his bow as he's releasing the arrow, yeah. and he yeah, shoots the guy. Chest I forgot about that. I love that <laughs> part. Yeah. But like, dude doesn't miss. Like, he's trying to shoot Grant. Yeah. I, mean, I think he does it because because Saruman says, "Okay, I'll tell you." And then Grima stabs him, and they're like, "No, we really needed to know that information." Yeah, yeah, you piece of shit. Um, well, and I wanted more of Grima. I mean, he's a horrible person. Like he's like he's a horrible person, but that character was sit, played so brilliantly. Brad Dorif uh, by Brad Dorif. I mean, just come on. I wanted more, more Grima. Give me more Grima, but it wasn't meant to be. I told you to take a staff. Sorry, I'm just reading back the two towers line. Well, and if I'm not mistaken, that doesn't really fit with the books. 
no. because with the books, Worm Tongue is still around after. So is Saruman. So is Saruman. Oh, yeah. 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 The Destiny. Oh. Yeah. Because they killed him because was was he sick or did he die? At the before... in books? No, Christopher Lee. When did he die? Yeah. He... Wasn't he in Star Wars after this? He was in yeah. Star Wars after this. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. So he didn't die. Okay. Interesting. Okay. I don't know why he was in it for it, such it, a time. It may have been scheduling conflict. With well, I think they knew they weren't going to use the that part of the story after, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Frodo goes to get healed with the, you know, uh, with the elves and all that. So they weren't. They knew they weren't going to show that conflict in the Shire afterwards because they wanted it to end on a happy note with Sam and his wife and his kids. Yeah. So I think they just show they're like, well, we don't really need these characters anymore. And it would be a fitting way to sort of tie up our version of the, of the story. I, I maybe, I don't know. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So the star Wars he was in was the year before this. So it may have been scheduling conflict and that may oh. have been why they killed him all. Yeah. Revenge okay. of the Sith came out before this. That's crazy. Wow. No, not Revenge of the Sith. Uh, um, the Clone the Wars. Clone Wars. Clone Wars. Wars. Okay. Cool. Um, I think that kind of wraps up the themes and everything. Uh, well, actually, no. Uh, let's touch on this for just a second before we go into favorite characters. But I've already kind of stepped on mine a bit. But um, the imagery. We talked a lot about good versus evil. And everything I I noticed a lot I you know watching this movie like a few times over the past week and everything the imagery to me was very was very obvious to me this you know hundredth time in a mm -hmm. row now um what did you guys any observations you guys want to talk about with imagery in this film and how it's used Um, that's a really deep question because mm -hmm. there's so much to it. There's so many aspects. Well, I'll, I'll start with one scene specifically, right? So we're talking about, we were a moment ago, we were talking about the retreat of the men of Gondor since we're not, they're not Gondolorians or whatever. <laughs> the men of Gondor, when they're retreating back to Minas Tirith, right? And uh, Gandalf comes out to save them. There is a very definitive, if you look in the sky, there's a very definitive line of the creeping evil of mordor it's the black sky where it meets the blue sky of 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 of, of the rest of middle earth and i thought that that was really you know an obvious kind of point and stuff so one of the things with imagery that i noticed in this movie right off the bat and at first it struck me as messy set design and costume like just for the first moments was man i'm so bad at remembering the names of cities uh the city in gondor where pippin and gandalf go back to uh what is it called it's there's an it starts with an m ministerith ministerith like it's in in stark contrast to the entirety of two towers and most of fellowship of the ring it's 
sparkling clean. Everything there is clean. Everybody's clothes are pressed and clean. Yeah. Perfect looking. And at first it was like, that's a really weird choice. But then seeing them cut back and forth between, you see the difference between like, uh, I mean, it's pretty much everybody else, but like the, the orcs in particular are just, they're all caked in mud and disgusting. Uh, Frodo and Sam are very close to that where they're just covered in shit the whole time. Yeah. And then Aragorn and everybody else on that side of things are kind of in the same boat where, you know, they've been on the road, so to speak, for so long that they're all filthy and have unwashed looking hair. And then every time it cuts back to... Mm, see, I can't remember the name. Myth, Mythaseer? Minas Tirith. Mr. Minas Tirith. Uh, every time they cut back, it's just perfect. Everything there looks yeah. perfect. Yeah. Um, and it just struck me as really intentional that they're so far from the front lines that these people could have nothing to worry about. Like it could feel that way. Like, and it reminded me of, um, like when the U S is at war and at home, things are normal. Like we still are washing our clothes and uh you know buying food at the grocery store when the front lines are really in the shit um yeah but the the stark contrast i think was really good imagery between those two mm -hmm. there's there's one scene in particular i love as well because in two towers when they leave edoras there's like a refugee column leaving the city right mm -hmm. And then in this movie, like you see the goddamn army leaving. It's like they showed you from the exact same spot. And this has the same view of the city, the same path the column is taking, but it's just gleaning heavy cavalry the whole way yeah. instead of refugees fleeing the city. And I, I thought that was just a, a fantastic scene. Oh, and the uh, the other thing with Minas Tirith, when they first get there and it has like these... I mean, they're kind of like, they're like helicopter shots and they're just, they're, they cut between them. So it's not quite spiraling around, but you're pretty much spiraling around from the bottom and way up to the top of these gigantic towers at the top of the city. And it's just such a cool sequence. Yeah. And that mass. And it really gives you the scale. Yes. Of this massive city. Yeah. That's, that's just stacked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that big proscenium platform that torpedoes out the side of the mountain. Yeah, right? you know, and uh, very much yeah, a I, pride I, rock, Lion King. But yeah, I love it. Pride <laughs> rock, nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. I think it kind of goes into the theme. It's just the scale of this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Each of the movies it gets bigger and it gets bigger. Because in Fellowship, it's this. It's a small group of people. You're following these people on a walk. Yeah, yeah, on a journey, there's a you know a small skirmish at the end. I mean, it's it's small. I mean, it feels big, but then you get Helm's Deep, big battle. Mm -hmm. But you're in one place almost the whole time. You're in one yeah. place the whole time. But then you get Pelham Fields, which is just this massive spectacle, and it just shows the scale of this of the war getting bigger and bigger and bigger, which kind of goes into like what he would experience in his lifetime of. 
like World War One was the first war where these were conscripted armies. This was nation state on nation state. Yeah, these were national armies. This is the whole country going to war, and it's like that's that's what he would have seen in his lifetime and changing in society. And he kind of goes into the into the three movies. It grows. What it's what's an interesting concept too, if you think about the way that war is fought today. You know versus what you see on screen with this particular film for example to your point about like the the scale right you know what we know of war and even going back to like vietnam is very like small units going up against units in a jungle right or in the mountains Mm -hmm. if we're talking about fast forward to post 2000 and you know afghanistan like it's you know a group of people against a group of people really and like even if you want to talk about the the IP of the you know Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? You know, like it's these heroes, even in the scaled versions, like it's this small group of heroes fighting off, you know, you know, gigantic armies. So it's it's very much lopsided. It's the the David Goliath approach. This is fucking Goliath versus Goliath, man. Like, yeah. I mean, the the Rohan army, like that 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 cavalry is fucking deep, dude. I mean, it's massive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to say nothing of the fact that something we haven't touched on, which is the arm, you know, the arm. And I can't remember the name of it. Now it's escaping me. I had it written down. And I, I don't have my notes up real quick. The the army that Aragorn leads from the boats, the, the, the ghosts. Shit. Help me out. Oh, the undead. The undead. Right. I mean, that shit's fucking massive. Right. And to say yeah. nothing of the army of Mordor coming out of the gates, you know, like, I mean, it's just it, just the scale of warfare is something that we haven't even seen. And like, even if we talk, take movies like Troy, for example, where there's basically two Goliaths, the Greeks versus the Trojans, or, you know, just those epic battle scenes like Braveheart and stuff too. Like, like this pales in comparison to, to what we're seeing at Return of the King specifically to say nothing of the other two films, but you know, fellowship is a lot more relatable in that sense. It's like a group of people versus a group of people. Helm's Deep, you see a little bit more of it, right? You see a little bit more of that scale. This is just fucking an onslaught of a massive proportions of of people, which is yeah, just I, really interesting. I'm not going to put Troy in the same category. Troy, Troy is one of the worst movies ever made, in my personal opinion. It's, yeah, I think we talked about. You this remember last how time. the steaming pile of cow dung? <laughs> Do you remember how after this movie came out, like? It felt like every movie was trying to be a giant army fighting a giant army. Yes. We had like, uh, what was that awful movie? The Great Wall. Mm-hmm. Oh, never uh, saw it. Thank God. Uh, it's yeah. terrible. Uh, yeah. But like, there that's were a called, lot of movies like Matt that Damon where it was like a Matt giant army. Paycheck. Yeah, it's Matt Damon Cash Paycheck is what yeah. that is. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Bad movie. Well, one, one, of, one of the things, done. one of the contrast pieces, Bear, that really... St- stood out to me not not just in this film in the whole series was the the contrast between the way they use and this is one of the reasons they won so many awards for this the way they used sound for good versus evil and i'm not talking about music i'm talking about sound the you know when the 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 voices and the sounds made by the ring wraiths or the witch king or Sauron that they were, they weren't just 
dark and ominous they were actually like painful to listen to mm-hmm. i mean the sounds yeah. that they emanate it was it was actually painful to hear those sounds they were and and i saw a little bit in some documentaries years ago about this that that was intentional they wanted to make it that they wanted to make absolutely certain that there was no ambiguity about the 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 evil of these characters mm-hmm. and and yet you, you could still have you could have characters who were good that still are rough and rough around the edges but they sound like something from this world they sound human for lack of a better term yeah yeah they sound natural familiar familiar yes good great terms but but the the juxtaposed between sound between evil and good is such a key player in in this series um yeah. and i really think it comes to the forefront in this final movie where the sounds of the orcs and the orokai and the the witch king and and sauron i mean at the end when 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 the eye of sauron finally oh my gosh it's just unbelievable those final those final screeches in those last seconds of sauron's life as that eye extinguishes it's just deafening it's incredible it's yeah. also cool the way, like the armies use instruments as well yeah the, mm-hmm. the, the horn the, like the drums mm-hmm. you're like oh shit and then the horn when gondor arrives and the witch king turns his head and he's like oh fuck <laughs> yeah there's a massive blob of cavalry just appeared on my flank <laughs> <laughs> that's you're in deep shit if that happens in the real world <laughs> yeah uh, well, just the horns it's i love that scene the the uh, the undead is a, is a really is a really interesting um imagery that's used and again it's those it, it uh, it's one of those blurred lines of good versus evil right um but i think there that's that's incredibly well done it could have been really terribly done but it's actually really well done the mm-hmm. um the spider the giant spider uh is an incredible mm-hmm. scene too i think that we haven't really yeah. t- we haven't touched on it at all and that's that's a really epic you know um battle too in its own right like you have we we're talking about scale right so we're talking about army versus army but we're talking about the hobbits you know sam and and and, and frodo against this giant ass spider and stuff and it's just a it's um you know matt was talking about sound a second ago i think the sound in that scene is incredible too um it's just the pace you know you're very much you're very much you're 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 along with them or like you know climbing rocks and, and crawling and, and and trying to try to get away just as much as the characters are it's it's really kind of quite terrifying because it, it puts and you in the cave it kind of goes into like that imagery of evil too like what what are so many people afraid of today and the modern it's a spider yeah 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 oh my my so, mother will never watch this film she's a fucking huge arachnophobe like yeah it's never gonna happen she would die but like, it, not, it's it's also the most common yeah. phobia yeah yeah yeah, and that's not a knock on my mom. I know, like, it's just a, it's a very common thing. You know, spiders mm-hmm. are just, you know, just not. I've never understood it. Um, I don't, 
I'm I not an arachnophobe, but I don't like spiders. I mean, I don't fancy like, myself like I don't fancy myself as a terribly courageous person. Like I don't think like I'm 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 definitely hesitating when even with Aragorn like leading the charge into the you know the gapes of Mordor. I mean, I'm not sure if I'm following him, but you know, but I mean, I spiders just definitely don't don't frighten that giant ass spider does though that fucking thing scary shit so yeah. i'm like no i'm 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 running for my life for sure um the uh the other one too the i think again i think what what's really great and masterful about this we've talked about the lines that were delivered and the way that they were delivered if you take them out of context how cheesy they could sound you know the undead could have been terribly done the spider could have been terribly done Mm-hmm. The only fonts are another one that could have been terribly shot and weren't like mm-hmm. the, the, you know, Matt was talking about sound a second ago. When I talk about imagery with the Oliphants, the swaying of the trunks and the tusks with the spikes connected to them. And they're just yeah. taking out, you know, a column of cavalrymen from more uh, from, from Rohan is just, you know, it's very much beautiful battle imagery. That's just again, you know, special effects to to the nines, but man, it really, really, really well done. It was, and it's also cool because of Tolkien's like knowledge of military history. Cavalry's great weakness is elephants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hannibal, they, man. Throughout yeah. history, they perform horribly against elephants. They scare the horses. Mm-hmm. It's their big weakness. So Tolkien's like, you know what? You know how Mordor's going to counter these. Blob of scary elephant, scary elephant, giant, all. <laughs> giant ass elephants, man. Um, when I think the 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 co- the decision for costume, like a lot, I they actually caught some flack for this because the characters who very much are the 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 the, the, the that are manning the elephants are very tribal and have a lot of there's some there's some definitely some African imagery in their costume and everything. But I think that's that's a, I think that's brilliant by Peter Jackson to to recognize that that's an homage to Hannibal, you know, who was African, by the way. If you know, for keeping score, absolutely, it is. yeah, it's an homage to Carthage and Hannibal and those North Africans. It, it is. Yeah. I think it was perfect. Yeah, I can't believe it. Like it's it's amazing to me sometimes the shit that people catch about stuff. And I thought that was like I don't think that's a a, a misguided commentary at all. I think that that was that was on purpose and it was it was brilliant for what it was mm-hmm. so cool anything else on imagery speaking of that i mean just this the special effects hold up 20, absolutely 100 percent. the amount of special effects that are in this movie with the crazy cinematic shots of minas tirith and this massive battle and oliphants like this movie could have came out last year and i would have been like wow those are some great special effects yeah yeah well, this is yeah, it, I mean, twenty there, years later. There's a there's a couple I, frames. There's a couple frames when Legolas is is like climbing the Oliphant. That's yeah. a, it's a little, it's a little weak. But I agree with you a hundred percent that that even even twenty years later, there there are films that are being produced and released today that don't look as good as this yeah. film does. I yeah. I will point out, including that the fucking came out the year before. <laughs> I I completely agree with the Hobbit. 
I will point out this came out the year before Polar Express. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Shots fired. That's cool. We're good. We're good. Moving on. We got favorite character, favorite scene, and uh, favorite character, favorite nitpick, or favorite character, nitpick, and favorite scene coming up to conclude the night. But we do have to go on to our next sponsored segment, which is our uh, Everybody Eat segment, which is sponsored by Postania Cigars. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. If uh, you always make sure, if you always make sure that your servant's towel is bigger than your appetite, everybody will always get theirs. Postania Cigars is more than just great people, great cigars made by cool people. They embody an attitude of gratitude and grit. Yes, with Postania, everybody eats. So, gentlemen, normally I ask a different question, and I, but I wanted to keep this thematic with because this is the third and last installment of the Lord of the Rings, and you know I'm sure we'll have another opportunity to find another movie that we can all nerd out on again here in the future. But this is an epic. Conclusion. I don't so know if it'll be the Hobbit series. But... No, we're not going to do the Hobbit. Sam and I have already decided that that's not happening. So, um, so. All respect, Peter Jack. We have a better shot of doing King Kong than The Hobbit, and I'm not, and I'm not one to jump on the yeah. King Kong train. So, um, but this is everybody. It's we're going to keep with the Lord of the Rings theme here, guys. Um, I'm going to we're going to circle in all three films. So just to make it easy, what is your favorite food scene in all three films? And and you can include drink in there if you want, guys. So food and drink. What's your favorite food and drink? Food and or drink scene from all three films so i i feel like we should we can't pick the denethor with Pippin. no it's fucking disgusting no absolutely not man i agreed agreed that's yeah dude i i um that meal is akin to i don't know if anyone's been to medieval times like the 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 the, you know the the yeah it's like akin to that type of food but yeah but yeah and i've already had I've already had salmonella once. I don't need to go to medieval times. <laughs> it, it just makes me not want to eat tomatoes. That whole scene, like yeah. I, I can't, I can't eat tomatoes anymore. Dude, my fucking four year old has better better table manners than Danathor. Okay, dude, and that kid, that kid, <laughs> that kid threw his fucking strawberries in his spaghetti this week. Okay, so that just gives you an idea. Did he kid, still eat it? Of course he did. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So nice. yes, and he still has better table batters. Like that kid, that kid can't eat a thing of pudding with it all going all everywhere. Like I found pudding in his well, crotch. Yeah. So, Where uh, else are you supposed to put it? I just your mouth, maybe, Matt. I'm just saying, Denethor couldn't <laughs> get it either. You just he was getting it all over himself. It was just <laughs> disgusting. Yeah. So favorite food and drink scene from the three films. We know it's not Denethor's dining scene. So what are what are we eating or drinking from the three films? Well, mine, I mean, as much as I love the, the, from the third film, you know, the, the salted pork is particularly good. I got to go back to the first movie to the fellowship when, uh, uh, I believe it's Pippin says it comes in pints. It comes in pints. <laughs> yes. I, that was my pick, Matt. I yes. Absolutely. <laughs> love it. Absolutely. Love it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I think mine might be from the first movie as well. I mean, I love the drinking scene in this movie with Gimli and Legolas, but in the first movie when they get the limbless bread, they, like one Legolas goes, one bite will feed a man for an entire day, and then you just see Pippa go, <clears throat> and he's like, how many? And Mary looks at him, and was like, how many do you eat? He's like four or whatever it is. <laughs> just like, oh, I love that. Good, yeah. The, they comes that for me. Cooking the yeah. bacon on what the top. 
Yeah, uh, for me, it's when when they're singing about their flagons in this movie, and about the the green dragon. Which I, when I lived in Portland, we had a a bar called the Green Dragon that was a they had sixty two, I believe, taps. Oh shit! Uh, it was a very cool bar. Um, like they, it started as a project for homebrewers. So there was like these, I think it was like eight guys or something. And every week for six years straight, they brewed a beer a week and would release it on tap. It was super nice. cool. And then Rogue bought it and changed it to a Rogue place, then shut it down. But mine is to the flagons, and I'm drinking out of my flagon, of course. There you go. Oh, here, here we go. Nice. Right, Bear, what about you? Uh, it's, it's It comes in pints, man. It's just, yeah, it's the fucking best line. And uh, it's just great. Yeah. I'm I'm all about the I'm all about the pints. And it, it it's like fast forward to the return of the king in the end of like one of the twenty endings, right? So it's like they're all drinking in the, the pub back at home and they're just looking with their meager glasses and it's just like, man, dude, these guys should have fucking pints, man. They just saved the world. <laughs> they're drinking simple ale out of their quarter yeah. pints or whatever the fuck they're drinking now. It's so like crazy. It's just You know they're uh, looking at each other and being like you should open a bar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. shit, right? Yeah, <laughs> that should have been Marion Pippin's like saw like you know end. They open up a bar. It should have been that yeah. they opened yes. up a, a pub in the Shire. Yeah, with full pints. And they serve yeah. only pints. Only pints. Yeah. yeah, they only serve full pints. Yeah. So that was our Postania segment. Only pints. Only pints. Yes, that's the name of Marion Pippin's place. Um. Um. Well. You know, there's a business idea for us. Uh, us four, we'll open up a pub. Let's call it call it Only Pints, <laughs> or Marion Pippins. We can debate on the name later. Um, our next segment is brought to you by Asylum Cigars. Refuge is more than just a physical place; it can be a state of mind. Some of life's greatest reflections can be found in our own personal asylum. Moments like these were made for an asylum cigar. Light up an asylum and choose your refuge. Now, I've had a different take on this particular question as we've gone through this uh, as we've gone through this trilogy over the last three years, gentlemen. So I, I wanted to keep it on theme again with Lord of the Rings. There's a lot of moments with tobacco, specifically or long bottom leaf, that I think are really good. That they they use they use it as a, a as a really nice plot device to you know for one of like great thought and and everything. But um, so I wanted to take that and and it doesn't have to necessarily involve tobacco. But what's a what's a a moment of reflection or a, a, a single moment, because there's plenty of scenes throughout the three. We're going to stick with the three films here where, you know, characters are left to their own devices, left to their own personal reflections and thought that, that they come about. And you're just like, like, Oh, that's, that's my favorite scene. So your favorite theme of personal reflection and thought um, throughout the three films. I'll give you guys mine. It's when it's the first time, obviously the obviously Gollum comes back, but for a brief time when Gollum, when Smeagol suppresses Gollum out of his personality, that's it for me. And yeah, I, I love the way that they shoot those scenes with Gollum and Smeagol. Yeah. Like when 
He's looking into the river in this one. Mm-hmm. Like the river is Gollum and Smeagol above the river, and then the river is Gollum, Smeagol again. That I I love those scenes. Every time they do it, just Andy Circus crushes it. Yeah. Yeah. It's Gollum and Smeagol in this movie. My mom's never seen the movie, but she knows the character Gollum because my sister and I have reenacted it with that with that my precious and she fucking can't stand it so it's fun <laughs> um like yeah imagine watching it for four hours mom how about that um yeah that's that's my favorite moment of moment of refuge and there's a there's a few hey trip what about you man i'm i'm trying to think of other moments of reflection for people for anyone other than Gollum, because Gollum seems like the only character who's ever alone for most of these movies. His internal dialogue. Ooh, ooh, I got a good one. I got a good one. When Aragorn uh, has is approaching the the crystal ball. Yeah. The oh. ball of Sauron. Yeah. The seeing stone. Yeah, yeah, seeing seeing stone. stone, that's the word. Uh. I, I actually I rewatched that, that one scene today. I don't remember why. But uh like that moment where he's about to pick it up and he's like you can see it in his face. He's like, Can I do this? Should should I do this? Mm-hmm. Is this the right thing to do? Is like he's he's so tormented over whether he should even touch this thing and and you know, point it at himself, basically, and taunt Sauron. Um, I like that one. Okay. And then he taunts him with the sword. God, I love that. <laughs> um, one that comes to mind for me is pretty sure it's from the second film. They do all kind of bleed into one big long movie after they this really movie. do after twenty years. Yeah, I believe it's, it's from of... the second film. Yeah. They're uh uh Gandalf and um the others are maybe well, maybe it was the first film. Uh Gandalf and the others are um so they can't they they're having trouble deciphering the code, you know, the secret password to get in uh uh Moria. Moria. Mm-hmm. And Gandalf just takes out his pipe and you know packs a bowl and you know lights his long bottom leaf in his pipe and it's just puffing and thinking and thinking and puffing and you know talking about uh uh you know making the most of the time that's given to us and things like that and i just love that scene and it may be the lines may be cheesy yeah, the and the lines may be cheesy, but it I don't I don't care that the lines are cheesy. I think it's meaningful and and it uh I don't know, I just and the and the fact that he he's so patient. Gandalf was was so patient and he just sat with his thoughts and and then it was it was almost just like a like a goof that at the end he's, he he goes, "Oh, I know." Duh, I know the answer. Yeah. You know, I just love that scene. 
I absolutely mm-hmm. love that scene. He does it later in the film too, where where um, they're trying to decide which way to go in the cave. He's like, "Oh, it's this way." Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a great one. I forgot yeah. about that scene. It's like when in doubt, always trust your nose. Yeah. Sam, did you go? Yeah, I'm. I'm really not sure on mine. Um, you know, I love this scene in the mines where he's like, "Oh, it's this way." It doesn't smell quite as foul. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I like this scene in this movie where, you know, they're kind of him and Pippin are sitting out in Minas Tirith at night and they're just watching the clouds come yeah. in. And, you know, he's sitting there just stressed it's so out quiet. as hell. Yeah, it's like, so oh, quiet. Yeah. <laughs> and Pippin hands him the water. And then the like light beam, I don't even know what you call it. The light beam shoots up in the air from Minas Tirith yeah. after it goes to the scene of Frodo and comes back. And it's all it's just I think it's a really cool scene. It's like I think of the line from Theoden's like so it begins. It's like now they're coming. So it begins. So I think it's All right. Well, we're about to get into favorite characters, so I thought that would be an interesting take on Dunbarton, Tobacco's, and Truff. Curveball segments. Fastballs or curveballs, it doesn't matter since the company's inception. Steve Sock has been knocking around the park eight consecutive years, going up, trying for number nine this year in the consensus top three. Congratulations to our good friend, Mr. Steve Sokka. So tonight's curveball question is Return of the King, back to specifically this film. What role are you playing? <laughs> I'm not much of an actor. I'll tell you that. What what role are we playing or what role ideally would we love to be? <laughs> what role are you playing? I would be the mouth of Sauron. <laughs> I, I could do that one. Making scary faces with my mouth. I can do that. Yeah. Mouth of Sauron. Very good trip. All right. Cool. Matt, what about you, man? Well, I mean, ideally, I I mean, I think every guy would want to say I want to be Aragorn, but right. I'm no Aragorn. I mean, you know, 30 years ago, maybe, but I'm no Aragorn. <laughs> um um honestly i think a role that would be absolutely a blast to play and i think actually the character in his life has a pretty damn good time is gimli Mm -hmm. i mean come on i just yeah i i will i would want to play gimli i would want to be gimli Uh, what a blast get to carry around a big axe all day long and swinging around and you know, right meat off the bone and you know, all that. Come on. Come on. I would love it. Oh, man, I would love to say Gimli as well. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I feel like we don't talk about Legolas as much in this movie as we do in Two Towers. But I, I still, like, he's... He's like the quieter one in the fellowship. Like, yeah. I'm sure he has the least number of lines, but like 
he never wavers. He's always good. Or he does waver once in two towers when he says, you know, we'll be 300 against 10,000. But like after that, he's like, let's just fucking do it. You're the, yeah, you're We're the only gonna... one that could pull that off though, Sam. You're the, you, you've got the youth and you're spry I, I, still. I, I do own a bow, so I'm going to go with that. But okay. Yeah, I think Jay tw- Davis said he'd want to play the Witch King. There you go. That's and nice. I that was almost my answer, but I'm not as tall as Jay. Yeah, Jay Jay could rock the the Witch King for sure. I think 20 years ago, I'm like I'm 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 Air, you know, I'm Carl Urban's character. But like, I mean, the older I get and the more gray that my beard gets, it's kind of had it's kind of hard to say that I'm not Gandalf at this point. Like. <laughs> two kids in my patience has like gotten any he's got gets better every year so like i'm at this point i think i've just ganned off like you know i don't look very good in white though you you say. could be a pretty badass but you could be a also be a pretty badass gimli yeah, yeah it's true yeah, yeah I, could the rock the, I could rock the gimli that's for sure yeah i'm a little tall but that's fine i love an i love a good axe yeah yeah yeah, I feel like part of me would just want to be Gimli because his whole role in this movie is to swing an axe around and crack jokes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm pretty sarcastic. It works out. Yeah, twenty years ago, maybe I'm also David Winham. I'm also Faramir. When I was a little better looking, the beard was a little shorter too. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, nice. Okay, cool. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, that was our curveball segment brought to you by Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. All right, guys, last few segments here. So let's talk about favorite scenes, the favorite scene from the film, Return of the King. Uh, we've mentioned a lot of great ones tonight, uh, so we might be rehashing some of the same ones, but that's fine. Um, Sam, I'm going to give you the honors, man. This is your film. This is your this is your baby. So what what's the favorite scene of the whole film, dude? Uh, it's got to be when Rohan arrives at Pelamar Fields. I absolutely love that scene when Theoden gets up and he's like, arise, arise, riders of Theoden. It's like spears shall be shaken, swords shall be splintered. Dude, I, I love that scene so much. Because it's just, it makes you want to just run through a wall. <laughs> uh, no, I love that one. I mean, you can't, you gotta love Aragorn's speech at the end as well, but just they wrote two kick-ass speeches for generals to give right before yeah. they just go into and dude that one i just i love it they're ready to run through a damn wall and it's like they had a moment where it's like he's actually the leader like you yeah. could argue that aragorn's the leader but it's it's his redemption of like this is his battle yeah mm-hmm. he's leading his his troops into war and there's no doubt it's it's him. This the steps on our our original movie pod, Sam, when we did Gladiator with Justin, like, you know the you know what we do in life echoes in eternity speech. Like, fuck, dude, how do you not fucking follow Maximus into battle? Jesus Christ! Like that, like yeah, Theoden's up there with that with this one. Like I'm 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 running through a fucking wall for that guy. That's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Trip. I think Matt and I have the same take, but I'm gonna I'm gonna see what uh, Trip says. Uh, was this favorite character? I was I was fa- watching fa- favorite Matt's scenes. power almost go out. This is favorite scene. Yeah, favorite scene. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was a little worried about you, Matt. I saw your like lights flickering yeah, I... and you looking around like, what's happening? 
happening. Yeah, my my actually lights did flicker and and but uh we're we're good. We're good. All right. Um all right, favorite scene. I got to go back to the one I keep going back to. The mouth of Sauron. I that scene is just so awesome and then he gets decapitated at the end. That is the best scene in the movie. Yeah. Aragorn's like, fuck you, part. I'm tired of your And he's so, like, mouth. creepy and gross. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so good. And when he, like, whips out the Frodo's Mithril shirt. Yeah. Oh, oh. And everyone's like, oh, it's shit. Punch that everybody's got to feel at that yes. moment. Yeah. Right? Yeah, how could someone like, little so suffer so much pain? Like, oh, shut the fuck up. Oh, geez. Yeah. And that whole scene is just so good. The mouth is so creepy. I I like that part. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, I think you and I have the same take. Matt, go ahead. I'll let you. Well, I, I have a feeling you're going to think that my favorite scene is uh, Pippin singing in, in, yeah. in the Great Hall, but it's actually not. Oh, okay. All right. I mean, I love that scene. I absolutely love that scene, but my favorite scene cheesy or not is uh when the ring is finally destroyed yeah okay. um, because there is it's it's i mean when this is what it's all been leading up to everything rides on that moment right? everything yeah. rides on this, this final moment when the ring is finally destroyed and even though from the time frodo and Gollum go over the edge to the time Gollum falls to the lava and the, you know, the ring is still in his hand. And there's so much in just that short little, little bit. There's so much symbolism. There's so much depth to it that it's just unbelievable. I mean, so I'll try to keep this short. So, cause I made a bunch of notes about this. Gollum, Gollum falls, gets the ring from, you know, he bites off Frodo's finger. He gets the ring from Frodo. They struggle, they go over the edge. Frodo manages to get a, a finger on the edge of the cliff so he can doesn't fall down. And Gollum's falling down with the ring in his hand. He finally got, he's finally reunited with his precious. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. He is so elated. He is so consumed by this evil, utterly consumed down to the, the core of his being that he doesn't even notice that he just fell into a river of lava and is literally being burned alive and consumed by lava. He doesn't even notice. Well, he still has a big smile on his face when, when he goes under the lava. And yet, even then, the ring, as when it touches, you would think this is a gold ring. And it's touching lava. It's it's and yet it just it just rests on the surface of the lava there for a second. It doesn't go under right away. And you think, well, why Why is that? Well, Gollum just went on. So no, I got super nerdy on this. Lava is lava is actually cooler at the surface than it is underneath because the air temperature that's Drops on it. the surface makes the, the surface layer of lava cooler than underneath. Now, it's not cool, mind you, but it's cooler. So the, the depth of the heat is actually underneath. And Gollum actually drop that temperature even a little more because his body temperature lowered the temperature of the of the lava just a little bit a few degrees maybe 
And so, and plus this ring is, this ring is not just any ordinary gold ring. I mean, this ring was forged, you know, by, by otherworldly transcendent magical powers. And yeah. then the fact that the, the writing starts to glow before the lava finally consumes it. I mean, there's just so much symbolism and packed into just those few seconds while that ring sits on the surface of the lava before it's finally destroyed. I absolutely love mm -hmm. that they drew it out just a little bit longer Yeah. before the ring finally melts away to nothing. I love it. I mean, yeah, there's so many, there's so much imagery with it. Like you could talk about, you could talk about even like the, like, again, the consumption of the evil that Gollum displays, but it's also like, it's just, I mean, what it represents to me, um, is I mean all, all things evil, but one of the things that it represents to me again because it is a precious metal too is greed, and you know Gollum's greed is he's so consumed by his greed and like that it's it's brought him such utter joy to finally have that, and then in his final like his final seconds, like he still has that joy on his face. It's just yeah, it's an epic. It's a pretty fucking epic scene, and it's I don't think it's cheesy at all, man. I think it's actually incredibly well shot, um, and the story itself too. I think that. I think that, you know, while Tolkien probably would take exception to some of the liberties that Jackson took throughout the entire epic series of, of all three films, like that, that's a moment that the moment that mattered most, I think is, is something that I think he did incredible justice to. So I, I'm with you on that. That's cool. Yeah. My, mine's mine, mine's the singing scene. Um, I think it's, like I said, I think it's the, the best entire scene shot in the 21st century. Um, that's my hot take on it. I said it earlier. I just, I just everything, everything aesthetically and is just brilliant. It's just absolutely brilliant. And we, we yeah. touched on it earlier, so I'm not going to rehash it too much, but that's, that's my favorite scene and always will be, but everything, everyone else that mentioned yeah. stuff is really good stuff too. So, um, I love, the, I love trips take <laughs> the mouth of Sauron. It's pretty good. Um, <laughs> Okay, so how before we get into nitpicks and finally favorite, or uh, before we get into nitpicks and finally favorite characters to end at, how do we feel about the endings? Okay, let's 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 hash out this debate that's been going on for twenty years. When should the movie have ended? Is it right with the 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 the, the dozen endings? Is it not right? When should the movie have ended? That's what I want to know from you guys. When should the movie have ended? Is it perfectly well made? Should we have had all the the the, the tying up of the, the 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 purse strings or whatever or purse strings the tying up the, of the loose ends or or what what? So, Matt, I'm going to come to you first. Oh gosh, it's really tricky. I don't fault them at all for the way the movie ends and for the way that they. I mean, they had. There's again we talked about it a little bit there's so much more that they didn't continue on with because it would have been another 3 hours if they would have continued on with what was actually written down on paper i would have i wouldn't have minded personally i think it would have been just for my own personal taste in story arcs and storytelling 
I wouldn't have minded one bit if the very last scene before they cut to credits was when Sam, Frodo, Mary, and Pippin are sitting at the pub at a table having an ale together. And just with those, they there was no there were no words spoken. There yeah. were a few smiles, you know, a few laughs. And then just that that sort of look between all four of them amongst each other, that look on their eyes of reflection of, did that really just happen? I mean, there's so many unspoken things that you could see floating in the air around them. Did that really just happen? Did we really just do that? Are we really back? Did we really survive? Are we actually, is this really happening? We're really here, you know, having an ale together. Uh, having actually survived what just went on. And I would have been so content if that just would have slowly faded to credits right at that point. I, I would have considered it a perfect spot to roll credits. Yeah. Really, doesn't that only cut off like the one... I guess that cuts off the wedding and then that cuts off them leaving Middle Earth, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's hard to disagree with that because I don't want to lose uh, the scene where they bow to Aragorn and Aragorn says, "My friends." Yes, so, bow to you, no ha one. you yeah. have to keep that. You have yeah. to keep that. Yeah, definitely. So you have to keep the crown for sure because just the emotion of that is like, oh, that's incredible. Um, I I really like that as a potential ending. I sitting at the Green Dragon. I like that a lot. Um, now I, I think I don't fault them like you for having all of these endings because it's, it does justice to the book to have, to wrap up everyone's story. Um, but I, and it's hard to disagree with what you just said with having them all sit around like, holy shit, was that the last couple years of our lives? we were sitting here at the green dragon three years ago and not a care in the world. And we just had this harrowing adventure, life and death struggle. And look at that. We're back here. Yeah. And now they get to relax. Right. Yeah. Go back to being just hobbits. Maybe yeah. a little PTSD, but yeah. Probably. <laughs> well, clear, clearly Frodo did. Yeah. Um, Oh, clearly, yeah. Uh, that is the argument for picking that last. Where yes, definitely. Because, I mean, I guess in Tolkien's day they would call it shell shock, but yeah, of going through what he went through, like he can't live a normal life after that. He's got to leave and go with, go with the elves. So, I, it's tough. I, you know, it's a lot of endings. I mean, it's like forty-five minutes of screen time or something, but. I, I like the Green Dragon ending, but I, I really don't fault the the story that they tell that Frodo has to go. Yeah. Yeah. The, the weight the he was bearing was just too much. I, I read a piece uh a while ago. I think it was like a year ago when I was like we were doing two towers and I was reading a piece about the Return of the King. I was like, I wanted it was about the ending. So I was like, oh fast forward, I'll I'll do some pre-research for a year from now. But you know, the guys take 
was an interesting one. I disagree with it. And he said that it should have ended on the, the, the mountainside after the, the ring was dropped, just like right, like right as the eagle Gandalf rides in and rescues them. I'm like, man, that's a fucking shitty ending. That's that, a really that could be an ending, but yeah, it could be. That, that would be disappointing. It really like would you're be not wrapping ending. anything up. You're like, Everybody okay. likes that a little bit of wrap up at the yeah. end. Yeah, I mean, you, you missed a little emotional impact if you end the movie there, yeah. right? Well, Matt, Matt's point about like it, it all culminates on his favorite scene, which is the the the, the ring finally going to its doom. But like, th- yeah, okay, that's that's the whole point of the film. But at the same time, like, there's so much after that. They even talk about the journey home, and you know, several yeah, times spent in this one, thirty hours watching these characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so just, just to like, end abruptly. The, the the ring going in is the climax. It's like you yeah. have to have some wrap up after that. Yeah, yeah. Where you're you're kind of left hanging, frankly, if if that's where it ends. Right. Exactly. Oh, if yeah, if the if if the ring would have melted and then it would have faded to credits, I would have been pissed. Most yeah. people would have been pissed. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So here's it just my fades question. to black, and then it says. Read the books to find out more. Yeah, well, right? here's the, the question, end. right? Because there was more to the books, right? Legolas and Gimli go off. Saruman comes to the Shire. There's so much more, right? The wedding, that you know, the the rule of the rule of Aragorn over Gondor and uniting the the, the race of man and all that shit. Could we have had a fourth movie? We still could. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't be as exciting as these three. Yeah. I agree. I I don't think it's needed. And I had this whole conversation yeah. with some friends yesterday. We were talking about the Harry Potter movies, and we're like, and we got onto the topic of Lord of the Rings. Like these movies, it it's appropriate where it ended, and I don't think they should ever be remade. I I absolutely agree with that. Unless we get to a point where the visual effects in these movies doesn't hold up anymore. Which I don't see happening. I don't think there's any reason to remake ever. There should be no reason to ever remake these films. Like the visual effects are damned. Well, and it's, I mean, they're they're already doing it, but it's like Star Wars. Like I don't want this story retold. I want to know more about this world. And that that's kind of what they're doing with the Amazon series. Well, exactly, and they've already announced the new movie, right, with Amazon. Think so. Oh, like, I, I think that happened this week. That there's a, a new movie that takes place. I think it's in between the Amazon series and Lord of the Rings. And I still haven't. I can't bring myself to watch the Amazon series. I'm very leery of of companion works that come many years later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, for any series that is beloved by me, for instance. I have never seen the the fourth or fifth Indiana Jones movies, and I absolutely I will never ever watch them. I will never watch them because it was so perfectly ended at the end of the Last Crusade. Mm -hmm. So I I can't bring myself to do it now. Could somebody make actually good Crystal Skulls off another film to sort of? Yeah, I can't do it. I won't. Um, 
I've heard I, that. I was surprised by that it was somebody could make a movie to talk about the 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 scourge of the Shire after you know um where the the return of the king ends that we as we see it on film and and all that but i just don't think it's worth it i don't i don't think it because there's there's not that much i mean they they can hollywood can draw anything out and make a make a full length feature film out of it but i just don't i don't think it's necessary i don't think it would benefit the the cinematic universe at all to make that film i i do agree with that like star wars is a different a completely different animal because it's this universe that's rife with with uh with conflict and the whole point of the end of this movie is that the conflict is over right exactly now i i do think that one of the themes that's present in the books is, is like how the I guess good societies and in, in real life it was the is France and Britain had to industrialize to win, which is absent from the movies. And I think there was something there they could have worked in, but it's hard to go in and change these movies because they're fantastic. Yeah, but you can add stuff in between, but I don't think it would really make sense. Like, yeah, that's a sub theme of like his view of the Shires, what Tolkien's home looked like before World War One. And when he came home, it was completely different. It was gone. It was industrialized because that's what the society had to do to win the war. Mm-hmm. And that that plot is missing, which I think is, you know, it's it's sad that it's gone, but it's also like, it's hard to change these movies because they're fantastic. Right. Like, do we need another subplot in the film? It's like, ah, probably not. Probably There's not. a lot of these movies already. Maybe yeah. Peter. Jackson will come back in 10 years and do the extended extended edition <laughs> where he shoots a bunch of new scenes and adds them in 67 hours of additional footage <laughs> yeah yeah Peter I would Jack- watch it Peter Jackson yeah, exactly Fran- I would watch it too oh yeah too. <laughs> Peter, ja- Peter Jackson makes Francis Ford Coppola look like a fucking documentary make filmmaker like he's just like there's so much goddamn footage it's ridiculous um all yeah, right it's crazy all right, so biggest nitpick for Return of the King. Notable nitpicks. I got one. Hit me. So the the fact that this this just pulled me, uh, I it pulled me out of the movie right away when I saw it in theaters back twenty years ago. The fact that uh, the the character's name like in the universe is actually called uh Gothmog. It's basically the uh like the orc general uh yeah. the, in the the white the white head, one. The white headed yeah. dude, right? Yeah. Yeah. Looks just like Chunk from the Goonies. Yes. Yes. Looks exactly like Chunk from the Goonies. And when I saw when I first saw him come on screen I'm thinking to myself, this character is supposed to be scary and ominous, and all I can all I can think in my head was, "Hey, you guys!" <laughs> that's that's all I could, and yeah. and I I just I could never get behind that character as far as feeling like 
this character is scary and formidable and ominous. Nope, I just thought he was a goof who liked Baby Ruth bars. That's that's it. <laughs> yeah, when this the scene with the rock flying from the catapult from Ministerius, where he like just it just misses him. That's exactly what I picture him saying. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> Look to the side as it falls. To exactly. The side. Like, it's just fucking just bad, man. Yeah. No, I'm yeah, I'm with that, you. Man. That was really my game. only nitpick. That was my only one. Yeah. Trip, Sam. I don't know if I have a nitpick. Mine is, I mean, it's smaller, but I mean, it's maybe that scene that I that I talked about earlier. That one, like, uh, back and forth of dialogue with the, I never thought I'd die next to an elf thing. Yeah, like that's my major nitpick. I just hate that 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 back and forth. Like, please just Take re-release the movie without that. Take it out. Yeah. One that three second piece. Yeah, I, I agree with that one. Mine mine is kind of like a plot one. It's interesting because, you know, after Sam and Frodo escape, they get away with being orcs for a little while, and now they're they're walking towards Mount Doom. And Sauron sees them. And he's like, and he like if it, he watches them, they fall down, they hide, and then his his gaze gets drawn. But it's also like, what the fuck do you think two hobbits are doing in Mordor? Is that not highly suspect? Yeah. Yeah. Like God, I had never thought about, about that. Holy shit, like, that's a plot. And ask to check that out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, is he like just so honed in because Aragorn taunted the hell out of him? But that that was one thing that's like that not just that doesn't raise a red flag a little more than it did. Yeah. <laughs> if you're the big bad. Yeah, you're just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I'll check that out later. Yeah, it's all good. It's fine. I know the ring's coming back, but it's probably not those guys. It's probably another two guys that just look like them. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't wouldn't give them it. That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) What about you, Bear? What's your nitpick? I know it's in the book. And I'm stepping on the last the last segment, which is favorite characters, even though I've already mentioned who my favorite character is. Are we sure? Are we sure that Eowyn and Faramir need to get together? Like, does that have to happen? Like, is it really necessary? Does she well, need a why, dude? Does he need a bride? Why not, though? Why not? I, well, they yeah, I mean, again, yeah, like, I mean, it's fine. Like, it's not like I, I it's mean, a, I, it's not, I kind of get that. Like, Aowen is just like too strong for any man. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's a good nitpick. It's like, it doesn't need to happen. Now, does it move the story forward at all? No, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It like, doesn't. it doesn't move the now. Now, here's here's the way it kind of plays out in my make believe head is that like they go back to Rohan together and she fucking rules it as the queen and he's like, you know, he's she's Queen Elizabeth and he's, you know, you know, he's the prince, you know, that's fine. That's kind of that's yeah. the kind of the way I see it. I, I think they're a good match. I think they're a good match, actually. I think um I mean that's a power couple if ever I've seen one, and she wears the yeah. pants. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like so I mean, yeah, I, she... I think they're I think it's great. 
She's never the damsel, oh. like I said. She and I stand by that. She's never the damsel, and it's fine. And he's not rescuing her, which makes it which makes it okay. I just, I just don't know if it's necessary. Like they're, they're, it's unnecessary. It's unnecessary, but they're a good match. Yeah, yeah. Far- Faramir is a. I mean, he's a warrior, but he's also, you know, he's also he's introspective he's he's kind-hearted he's he, he doesn't he's want a to be gentle a he's a gentle guy yeah he, he he's softer yeah yeah but well he has to well to to sam's point about sauron too so here's my thing so there's this uh, this this show this this particular series that we've done we do twice a year on ls fumar takes about fumes and it's based off of my love for the podcast the rewatchables which is uh, you know as a spotify uh ringer podcast uh headed by bill simmons and 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 one of the where one of their favorite new segments that they've entered in is like are we sure this guy was good at his job and yeah that's that's my take on sauron are we sure he was a good bad guy like like yeah how do you miss the two hobbits how do you allow this 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 pithy human you know not that eric owns pithy, i mean you don't just like, miss him you see them and then you're like eh, oh whatever. fuck it yeah like this dude taunting me over here is like more important like plus he yeah. also how do you tell pippin what's that <laughs> how do you tell pippin your whole plan yeah yeah like <laughs> yeah yeah are we sure you're good at your job as a bad guy like um also how do you if you're if you're all you're you're like hell-bent on destroying the world how about summoning an army that of like, yes, evil fucking people and things, but man, like aren't orcs and orakai and goblins, aren't they just the dumbest fucking things alive? Yep. I mean, they are a bag of rocks if I've ever seen one, man. Like, Jesus, dude, like have some people with some brains. Like, <laughs> like, like the mouth of Sauron's probably like the only representation of anything that has any kind of like you know, semblance of an IQ above 40, you know, like it's just. <laughs> so those are, those are a couple of my nitpicks of the film, but, but no, I think, I think this one probably has blacks and blacks and pothole, uh, potholes, blacks and plot holes and plot gaps, probably more so than the other two for sure. Okay. All right, guys. Well, I already stepped on it. So, favorite character from Return of the King. Mine's mine's Eowyn. She's fantastic. She's beautiful. She's marvelous. And I don't mean yes, she's physically attractive. Yes, but she is a beautiful character and a beautiful hero. Uh, one that we should all uh, all should admire. She's fantastic. She is my favorite character in this entire film. Um, most underrated character, and I think the entire series overall. Uh, but definitely my favorite of this mm-hmm. film. So. Next up, Trip. Who's your favorite character from Return of the King? The Mouth of Sauron, right? Can I call, uh, it, can I call him my shot? <laughs> he's on the list. <laughs> uh, I I think honestly, Eowyn is probably my favorite, but I'll give special shout outs to Aragorn because he's always like Aragorn in these movies is just the epitome of cool when it comes to Lord of the Rings. Um, Pippin, I think, is awesome in this one, and then. Like you said, Mouth of Sauron and Witch King both get shout outs. But Eowyn takes it for me. She's just so cool in this movie. Courage. Courage for our friends, Mary. Ugh, fuck yeah. 
you know, I think mine, and I never would have picked him in a million years in the first two movies, but it's Sam. Yeah. I love him in this. He was, he was all, he was this close to being on my honorable mention. His, his redemption arc, just how they tell the themes of loyalty and friendship in this movie. He's got some great moments. Um, it it's Sam, I think honorable mention. I love Theoden's story arc in this movie as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're they're fantastic. I think. I mean, we talked about it earlier. Uh, Noble as Denethor is fantastic in this film. He just it just makes your skin crawl, and he has yeah. Like, ten minutes. Yeah. Of yeah, ten twenty minutes of screen time. Yeah. Yeah, he. guy. He's almost more <laughs> grotesque. He's almost more grotesque than Grima Warntongue. Like it's 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 a debate. Like mm-hmm. who's the most grotesque character in the entire series? And it's Grima Wormtongue and fucking Denethor. And I'm not sure Denethor loses. I think he wins that. The the the. Just no, the I ick. think you could argue he's because yeah, he's the ick man. Like, like, he's total. not being manipulated. Yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> Grima Wormtongue is like evil infiltrating his body. He's making these choices of his own free will. Yeah. He's yeah. Like, I won't bow to the ranger from the north. You're like, God, dude, he's the returning king. And you're just like, no, I'm going to be the steward forever. What a piece of shit, man. The, the armies of Mordor are there. And he's like, abandon your posts. Like, really? That's your order in this moment? <laughs> yeah. Run. <laughs> Run away, run away. Um oh god, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Sam Sam for me is it's played so well. So yeah, he's, he's and and I love this in the in the true 1950s fashion, right? You know, like where you know we're 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 talking about Edwin not being the damsel, right? But like Sam gets the girl, dude. He gets the girl in the end, you know? He gets the happy mm-hmm. ending, you know. You know, good for you, Sam Wise. Way to way to way to way to power yeah. through, man. Yeah, I I yeah, I think I think you Sam's a garden mm-hmm. Matt, what about you? Favorite character? Yeah, I I have to agree hundred percent with Sam. Uh Samwise is is the hero of the story. He's the best part in this best character in this movie. He uh, he gets it done. I mean, when he sees Frodo on that precipice, um, you know, like giving in to the power of the ring, and fi- because finally, after all this time, after all this journey, Frodo, it's it's just that last grain of of strength left in Frodo fades away and the power of the ring takes him and Sam I mean Sam's not the one who ultimately takes the action that destroys the ring but he is the one who saves Frodo from dying after the ring is destroyed and pulls him up from certain death and um he's yeah the and the fact that he 
it, it harkens back to the first movie, this beautiful young hobbit that that Sam is just so enamored with in the first film that uh, when he comes back to the Shire, finally, after this this harrowing expedition, that he gets the girl and they live happily ever after and they have a family and and I just love it. Um, and and also I will echo that Denethor is absolutely one of the best characters in You film. love to hate him. You love to hate him. And yeah. he is it the one of the reasons I think Denethor is so menacing and so frightening is because Wormtongue is actually the reason Wormtongue is evil is because he's motivated by something. Mm-hmm. Wormtongue is motivated by greed and power. Denethor is just checked out. Denethor mm-hmm. doesn't give a fuck. Denethor, he's comp- 100% apathy. He does not care about anyone or anything. And that is one of the scariest characters you can ever have is someone who literally just does not care. He doesn't yeah. care about power. He doesn't care about wealth. He doesn't care about status. He just doesn't care. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the scariest characters you could ever encounter in any universe. Yeah. And he's portrayed that way so beautifully and so frighteningly. Absolutely. All right, gentlemen. Time has come. Any final thoughts? Any final thoughts we want to share? This is a pretty good movie. <laughs> pretty good pretty decent yeah yeah it's good, way to, good way to wrap it up good way guys through this guy with the guys this was a three-year journey for us too we did this over the course of three years we did three pods uh totaling almost the same hour number of hours as the movie if not more we were at uh currently we're sitting at three hours and uh 15 minutes so just uh six minutes shy which i'm sure when we wrap up here in just a couple of minutes we'll be at the total running time of the theatrical version of return of the king so um you know i what i really love about this show in particular is the the dialogue and the conversations that we have that I have every week with interviews with people from around the industry. But what I really like about this one, particularly where we get to dive into film and, and Sam's been kind enough to join me on this journey a little bit. And we, we kind of, we celebrate some notable films and their anniversaries over the years. And um, you know, this has always been, this has always been a really, really cool um you know, way to really bring movies back to life and stuff. You know, here we are 20 years later from Lord of the Rings and we, we have the same amount of running time and they ran in theaters to have conversation about what we saw, what we witnessed. And I think, you know, and we still miss things. We still, like there were still some things we could have touched on. You know, I think like the, there there are entire storylines we didn't touch on. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, or barely glazed over, like because I think that the undead, the the scene with the undead, is 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 one that we really didn't talk about too much at all, and and I think it's it's one of the most brilliant shot things that I've seen in cinema. So it's there's just quite a bit. So gentlemen, I really wanted to say thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, for joining uh, Sam and I on these uh, these incredible journeys into film and uh, trip. Matt, you guys are welcome back anytime and. Uh, to talk about movies and um, or anything for that matter, and look, we can smoke some cigars and drink some good spirits and uh, 
enjoy ourselves once more and uh, and talk about some of the greatest films in our history. So I'm I'm, I'm really excited uh, as we continue the series kind of going forward and stuff. So it's good stuff. Bear, so, thank you. My pleasure. My, my pleasure indeed. So for everyone out there, we really appreciate everyone staying up late with us as always. Thank you so much. Uh, from the bottom of my heart to you guys as well. Keep those ki- those likes, comments, shares coming, please. If you check out our YouTube channel, you can always check out Olosifomar. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. If you already are a subscriber, that's fine too. If you're listening to us later, wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, or wherever you listen to podcasts, be sure you, should, be sure you download, subscribe, and review. If you already are a subscriber, do me a favor, hit unsubscribe. But if... Uh, but don't forget to hit resubscribe because that helps my numbers so that I can keep doing stuff like this. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Uh, so without further ado, it's my pleasure again to thank once again, Sam Spencer, Matt Ty, Trip Waldrop. This was the 20th anniversary of Lord of the Rings Return of the King. And we thank you all for joining us tonight. So live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Azel, Texas, this was our 275th take. Once again, he's Sam Spencer, he's Matt Ty, and he's Trip Waldrop. Guess what, everybody? We'll see you next time.